Welcome to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, episode 119, Riddle Me This. My name's Matthew Turner, alongside my co-hosts, Steve, Tom, Ant and Ryan. How are you all doing, boys? Yep, good, thank good. you. I see the puns haven't got any better. That's not, that's not mine. I just, I don't put my name to these anymore. Well, Ant gave up making the names for them, so I had to come up with something and I'm doing my best here. Come on, guys. Um... Steve, you're back, my man. How are you doing? Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. How's your time off been? Yeah, I, I mean, um, I, I've not seen much football since the Super Bowl, but just like the last few, um, the last couple of weeks, I've really got into watching some tape and um, starting to get into all the draft stuff. I think there's that bit at the end of February when... Um, free agency starts, which obviously doesn't involve the Lions. Um, and you just a bit like, come on. But I think as the draft gets nearer um, and our Super Bowl looms closer uh, as a Lions fan, that's kind of when you get back into it. Yeah, and you can tell that from the engagement from everywhere. It's going through the roof because the Lions fans love the draft. Just a bit of housekeeping to start. As always, don't forget our Discord channel if you're not a part of that yet. It's growing all the time. Lots of really good chatter in there. You'll get all of Ant's hot takes about some of the lower down draft prospects you might not have heard of as well. So it's well worth getting involved. Give us a DM on Twitter, or I'm sure I'll chuck up a link probably at some point during this pod. Uh, College Football Podcast is on, as always, last week, talking about the last of the pro days. And Ryan, are you on this week? I've not heard any chatter as yet about that. Yeah, yeah, we're... yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're back tomorrow. Uh, we're finishing off the Pro Day circuit, which is pretty much over now, bar LSU tomorrow. So just where the lines have been, how the players have done. And then we're doing mock drafts as well. So uh, bring your mock drafts along and you can judge mine and Ryan's. It's going to be good fun. The last Lions mock drafts. There won't be another after this. Like I said, I'm not doing another. This is, the, this is my finished finale one. <laughs> Don't forget the next two episodes we have are mock draft episodes as well, Ryan. So good luck with that. <laughs> Not changing, so. <laughs> um, don't forget, please, to like and sub to the video, to the episode, to the pod, anything that you can do on that respect to help us out. Bump us up those uh, rankings. would be much obliged if you do that. Don't forget as well that we are a Twitch affiliate now. So if you're not watching us on there and you are an Amazon um Prime subscriber, you do get a free Twitch sub every month. You can chuck that our way. Please don't pay for anything because we're not worth that. But a free one, pass money from them to us, we'll go for that. That'd be great. And don't forget as well, I know that we have another distinguished guest from Pride of Detroit this week, but we interviewed Eric Schlitt last week in, in possibly one of the best interviews we've had ever. So do go and check that out if you haven't already. Right. Enough housekeeping, boys. We're going to move into the news, and then we're going to have Ryan Matthews joining us for a short interview, and then moving into his thoughts and our thoughts 
about the quarterback class for the 2022 NFL Draft. And moving into the news, we're starting off with that the NFL have approved a rule change for overtime in the playoffs only. Both sides will possess the ball, regardless of whether there's a touchdown or not. How do you guys feel on this one? Um, lots of people have had their say on it. it. I mean, it passed fairly easily, 29-3. to 3. And I don't think anyone has a massive issue with the change as a rule generally, apart from the fact that it's for the playoffs only. So did you guys agree with the change? Did you want to see it expanded out to the full league season? What's, what's your take? Step in the right direction, I think. I don't want to change. No, I think it's fine. If you're worried about uh, offense uh, overtime, just be better on defense. You will get the ball back. Like, just don't be crap and stop whinging. Like, say, don't try fix them at the end, Brock. So, and then to just put it in the playoffs is also farcical. That that that's just silly. So, they just made a hash of this, really. You 100% can't tell that Ryan's a defensive player from this, can you? I think nearly every defensive player in the NFL has come out against this. Like, well, you know, if you're not good enough, then you're not good enough. But uh, depends which well, side win of the ball coin, you yeah. play on. Yeah, win, win the coin. Win the coin. <laughs> no, I, think I don't. Sorry, yeah, on the defense side, I get that. Most of us watch the NFL because, especially like this playoffs, it can be incredible to watch these quarterbacks go back and forth. Um, and all this should do is generate more excitement, right? Because you're going to have extra chapters, the games that otherwise would have been finished. So from a pure excitement standpoint, I'm in, and I guess that's why, because of the implications, they want it only for the playoffs. I don't really see why you do it for one and not the other. I don't think it impacts it that dramatically to just put it in the regular season as well. But yeah, I'm keen for it for the playoffs. Yeah, I think for a TV audience, it's a no-brainer. I completely agree with Tom. Um, you know, why wouldn't why would you deprive the TV audience of seeing both QBs when you've got like Mahomes going up against Herbert? So it's kind of a you know a tap really. I mean, for me, the 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 most fun thing about this, as um, someone who used to do mathematics in a past life and being a kind of game theory enthusiast is actually trying to work out what teams are going to do now. So there's schools of thought about teams are going to want to take the ball and go for two immediately if they score a touchdown. There's a school of thought that you're going to want to go on defense to start with so that you can see what they do and then you just have to better whatever the opposition do. I find the whole thing absolutely fascinating. If the teams score a touchdown, they possess the ball first, score a touchdown, keep the point after. Do you go for two to end the game, which was a proposal change that got rejected? From that perspective, I absolutely love the change because the the you know the, it just got so predictable over time. You win the toss, you choose to receive the ball, and that's it. That's final. And if you don't choose to do that, you might get fired as a coach. I think there have been times where coaches have been fired for not taking the ball in overtime because they literally don't understand what's happening, which is just shameful. So I kind of like the idea that it it provides some uncertainty going into overtime. I think that's my biggest take from it, is I love the idea that it's not as predictable as it used to be now. Maybe one for Anne Ryan, because obviously you are the, uh, the college gurus here, but assuming they did make a change like they did, did you have any interest in them going to the college uh, style overtime? Uh, no. no, that gets a bit farcical. When you've got eight overtimes and the scores, 79, 81, no one in the NFL wants to watch that. And the players don't want to be a part of it either because 
they've got homes to get to. They'd never have taken part in that, I don't think. Yeah, and, and starting on the 25-yard line, it's just like, it's a very short field. I think it's yeah. it, at, this, at, at the NFL level, it'd be so easy to convert there, especially with how, you know, open the playbooks are now with all your running quarterbacks and stuff like that. It, it, I don't, yeah, I don't think it'd, I don't think it'd transition too well. I mean, I just hate the idea that someone says, oh, you went to 10 overtime periods and it's like, that's actually two overtime periods and eight plates or whatever the rules say it is. Is it, is it two overtime periods and then it's just two point conversions or something like that? It's, ah, uh, no, I hate that. It's, it's like, the soccer penalty shootouts done far worse. And people want to get rid of the shootouts. I, I can't stand the college system. Not for me. Anyway, moving on. A couple of bits of Lions news specifically. Lions have apparently fielded calls for the number two overall pick, according to GM Brad Holmes at the league meeting. The free agent defensive lineman Arden Key, who did have a visit with us, ended up signing with the Jacksonville Jaguars, much like every free agent this season has, has gone to Jacksonville for their career to die. However, DJ Chark, who's obviously come over from the Jags to the Lions, along with Amon Ross and Brandon Jeff Reynolds, have all joined uh, Goff in California to work out together, which is a really positive sign this early in the offseason. The Lions have sent seven reps to Oregon's Pro Day and held extensive talks with Kayvon Thibodeau. And they're also apparently exploring contract extensions for both Amani Orowarie and TJ Hawkinson. Finally, the start date of the off-season program for the Lions has been confirmed as April 18th, which is a two-week um, thing that's going to go into the draft, as far as I'm aware, where uh, players are going to come and they're going to go through strengths and conditioning, go through physical rehab and have team meetings, but no actual play. So that's the start of the off-season for the Lions. What about the rest of that news, boys? It's you know, promising news that the guys are all ready to get in together to work out. Are we buying this number uh, number two overall kind of trade down talk, or is it just all smoke at the moment? Oh no, I, th- I, th- I think we're legitimately trying to trade it. I think it's a horrible year to have the number two pick, as you can tell by the amount of arguments we're having about who we should take here. There's no clear consensus guy, and a lot of the reasons why there's so many different opinions is because people don't think these players are good enough for the number two pick. So. I pray to God that it's true. I would like to trade back, get a few more picks and still maybe get a good guy in the top 10. So I, I can absolutely see that happening. We've talked at length as a group about how there's, obviously people have favourites, but there's four or five guys that we'd be happy with taking it to. So I do think there's an interesting angle on the trade back. Like When fans think about trading back, we assume it's going to be perfect on the draft value chart and think of all the extra picks we get. But actually, there is an argument that if you do have a load of guys rated the same, you move back a few spots and you get bad value as far as the value chart goes. But picks are still picks. And if you don't have strong preferences on these guys, then I do think there's there's interesting interesting view there. I just I can't see why anyone will come up, to be honest, unless the price is lower. I can't yeah. see that. There's no one worth number one this year and there's no one worth number two. Right? So I would... I won't take any offer. I don't want to leave the top 11. So I don't want to just take any old offer of anyone that's stupid enough to trade up with us. So unless it's staying in the top 10, I'm just going to sit. But I think they're definitely entertaining moving back a few places. Ideally with someone that's got an extra thirst. I don't want anything for 2023. I want capital for this year. I do. Yeah, agree. All for 2023, send it. (laughs) I 
I think that um, I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors about this quarterback class. I think um, despite all the talk and, you know, we've gone from Will the Lions take Willis at two, but then I've also heard people saying that there's going to be no quarterbacks drafted in the first round, which I think is ridiculous. I can easily see three, maybe four QBs going in the first round. Um, I just think that there are teams out there that have missed out in free agency and are, are going to be in win-now mode. You look at someone like Matt Rule in Carolina, um, you know, surely he's going to be on the hot seat this year if, they, if that team don't perform. They need a quarterback. Um, and you can see people like the Saints and the Seahawks jumping to get ahead. Um, so I think there is going to be trade action. Um I'm not sure how it's going to pan out, but you can already see with the Saints-Eagles trade that, you know, the pot is starting to simmer. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a trade down partner for us and I would absolutely bite the hand off anyone that wants to trade up to the number two pick. A few comments coming in. Hot topic on, on the previous thing and this. Um, loads of people kind of saying hello to as well. Detroit D, Super Saiyan Lions, Craig Ferguson, we've got Ashley Soden, Dan Pass, David Reinfurt. Thank you all, you guys. A few more that I've missed too. One Funky Lions fan. Thank you all for, for watching. Craig says, instead of overtime, how about each team selects their biggest eater and whoever wins a hot dog eating contest wins the game? Well, by that metric, I'd be a starter for the Lions. Um, what else do we have? Super Saiyan Lions says he thinks that the Lions have a good uh, chance to trade to either Atlanta, Seattle, or Washington. I think potentially that that is a possibility i know ryan said oh sorry tom said wouldn't take any oh no ryan ryan said he wouldn't take any trade down offer but in kind of working with tom's theory if there's four or five guys you like then trading down from two to five you definitely get someone you want and if you pick up a third to do that and you still get someone you really wanted at two happy days even though that's really not worth it by the chance so I think there's a chance that we could trade down to some of those guys. I reckon Carolina's the one. I know they don't have the capital this year, but next year, who's most likely to want to trade up just a little bit, but we'll see. Uh, They're not going to give of... away future capital for a dead man walking on the head coach. Maybe not. I so Steve mentioned whether he's on the hot seat. If he's not fired by week four, by week five, if he's 0-4 at the start, I'll be shocked. And I think there's a good chance they'll go 0-4 at the start. So we'll see. Probably be able to have a look at that. Uh, Ash, correct, not corrected me, confirmed what I was saying about the overtime and getting the call wrong. And apparently it was the Detroit Lions that had that problem. So in 2002, Marty Morningweg messed up against the Cardinals and got fired for making the wrong call. Apparently it's 20 years ago. I haven't got a clue, but I'll, I'll defer to him on that. Uh, a couple of other comments. Dan Pask says, hey, we're all the Lions. Doesn't Brad's statement also show that he's not committed to Hutchinson either, which is a really, really interesting thought. So if if Brad says he's you know exploring trade-down options, and actually he was asked specifically, I think if Hutchinson wasn't picked at one, would you still entertain these offers? And he basically said that he would. What about you guys? If Hutchinson's available at two, are you still thinking about trading down, or are you just running that pick in? Yeah, but you, you think all this chatter about him being the guy comes from the fans, not not from anybody else. So, you know, it's it, it's not surprising that he said he still might trade. The fans are the only ones who really want him at two. 
You don't know what the front office want with it. Like all the picks there, it's the fans that want them. It's not maybe necessarily the front office who've said anything in that regard. So, I mean, the one who got talked about most at two for the Lions was Kayvon. They talked about at the end of last year when we still had the first round pick that they were unanimously agreed on him and obviously they've been big on him again. But outside of that, none of the others, you've, you've not heard a whisper of them from Lions Brass. I think they'd still go the trade back route. The value's not there at two, really, if you can get a trade down option that's worth your while. Now, that's where it all comes down to value, right? Like what I was saying before in terms of if you have guys on a similar level, then you can trade back for less. But if you do have Hutchinson as in not fans, if the front office has Hutchinson way higher, then you're only trading back if the right deal is there. Um, so obviously we have no idea how these, these guys are stacked. Um, it, it, it makes me laugh a little bit because the, the discussion which we're tired of now is about the number two pick. Um, and obviously the discussion which everyone got tired of at the end of the season was uh, tank games, higher draft pick versus just go and win the game. And it's quite funny watching it almost come full circle in terms of if we had the number one pick. So everyone seems to be in on Hutchinson now. And it was like the number two pick didn't matter versus number one. And now no one knows what to do with the number two pick. So I just think it's quite interesting to, to watch. Yeah, I, I think there's, a, um, I think you can see that there's trash being talked about certain players to try and push their value down. Um, you can see it with Thibodeau. Um, and I, I just think there's so much like misinformation flying about um, that there will be several teams that will be desperate to get in the top five. I think some team, someone's going to fall in love with Malik Willis. I'm praying it's not the Lions, but I, I really can't see that. But I can definitely see us being able to trade down to maybe Seattle or Falcons. Um, if they fall in love with a QB, and we, you know, we could trade down and, and get Carl Hamilton. I mean, he could still easily be there around eight or nine. So there's so many like intriguing options. Yeah, there are. Uh, David asked the question that everyone wants to ask, which is about the Saints. But I'm going to defer that question down to when Ryan is with us, because it's actually a question that he was asked later on. Um, so we'll discuss that a bit later and whether they're a viable trade option. What do you guys think about exploring contract extensions for Oriwari and, and Hawkinson? Because I feel like this is going to split opinion. Um, I think that they are two fan favourites, but I'm not, personally, I'm not sold on this. What, what do you guys think? No, I'm not extending either of them yet. Hawkinson has not shown me consistency on Oriwari. I'm still divided. Like I say, he gets those cheap bargain basement interceptions. And people still then overlook that does often get burnt sometimes in coverage. Got decent recovery ability, but some of it is stat padding. Like I say, he's a good, solid cornerback. And yeah, I get the whole, he was mismanaged. He played under Patricia, who was a bit of a dick, like I say. But I'm not chucking any money at him yet until I want to see what he does this year. And Hawkinson, they've extended the fifth-year option, so I don't even want to consider talks yet. That tells me that not, they're not showing him yet either. So I don't want to wait now because I know he's going to want a lot of money. I'd say the tight end market has just hot, got a lot hotter after this off season. So I'm not sold yet on extending either of them. If I had to guess, I think if the deals are going to be done, you'll find them closer to the trade deadline next season than now. I think they'll want to see production at the start of next year as well. 
and health from Hawkinson before you start really putting in the long-term deals on there. That's what I do personally. I think they've both played, well, DJ's played well when he's been on the pitch and obviously had no receivers last year to help him out. So he was in a very tough situation. He's played well and we know he can. And the same with Orowari. He had a decent year last year in a cornerback deficient room with a lot of rookies and that in there. If they can carry the former on, then absolutely. But I think we have to wait until we're a few games into next season before we do it. With where the salary cap's going, so for Hawkinson, I'm happy to pay him. Um, he would be, I imagine, the highest paid tight end in the league, which is fine for me because if you look again where contracts have gone, I'm just looking at the um, tight end contracts now. You have Kittle at 15, Kelsey at 14.3, Goddard at 14.3 as well, Mark Andrews at 14. And then there's a bit of a drop, but you risk some of these guys, them getting bumped up. And would I rather have TJ Hawkinson and Dallas Goddard? Absolutely. And I think actually, if you lock him in now, um, we're seeing every offseason these crazy uh, free agent prices and crazy contracts coming out. And they're only going to get more obscene as the salary cap keeps going up 15, 20% each year. So I personally would rather get ahead of it now. Um, Hawkinson, yeah, I'm not convinced he's a top three, top five tight end. I'm pretty happy he's a top 10 tight end, although admittedly he does have some injury issues. But I would get the deal done now uh, rather than risk having him to pay way, way over the odds uh, next year. Uh, I'll worry, I think I've said before, like I'm not so old. He definitely took a step forward last season. But yeah, I, I've just never been completely sold on him as a player. Again, it all comes down to how much he's going to get paid. But I would really worry about extending him now. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to have to replace Hawkinson and end up t- using a first, you know, a, a first round number eight pick again on the tight end. Like, you know, we've we've been down that road that, you know, if we can get him for a deal that makes sense financially, um, I think it's just a no-brainer to to re-sign Hawk. Again, Oario, yeah, I, I think he, he needs to show this season in a, in a better defence that he can produce. I mean, at the end of the day, no one else takes Titans in the first round unless you're the Cleveland Browns and then you tag him and he wants out. But apart from that, I don't think we'd be replacing a Titan. Or the, Bron- or the Broncos who've just tra- oh, yeah. used theirs as a make-weight. Or the Falcons who take one when they needed a quarterback and now they're going to suffer for it. Indeed, indeed. Good examples, counter-examples to what I just said. Um, hello to Prismeo, first time chat. Thank you for joining us, my man. Um, yeah, so for me, like with everything, it all comes down to the detail. If we're doing it early, because for Hawkinson, the price is cheaper because of his injury history, I'll jump on it. That's fine. If you want to be the fifth highest paid tight end now and we're getting you cheaper because we're not sure that you can stay on the field, but we're going to get a discount because of it, then fine. I'm okay with that. If you want to be the highest paid tight end in the league, I'm exploring trades right right now because I've got no intention of extending you. So let's try and get a first round pick back if that's how much you're going to cost and then reinvest that in the team. If we have to take another tight end in the first round and hope that he's better than Hawkinson because at the moment, if you play 10 games a year, you might be in the top five, but effectively you're not because you're not on the field. So... You know, if it's at a discount, then fine. Same's true of Oruwariye. If it's because 
we've seen enough to want to to re-sign him, but we've not seen enough to pay him megabucks, and he kind of recognises that he's only got one year of production, so he doesn't take top-tier money. I can kind of go for that if it's a two- or three-year deal, but I get the feeling that he's going to go, I got the third-highest interceptions in the league last year, pay me the money. And I just, I'm fearful that we're going to start overpaying for guys that we're not 100% sold on. What happens if Armani regresses to what he's done in the last few years, and what happens if Hawkinson goes on IR all year, which... You know, wouldn't be out of the realms of possibility. In fact, I would say it's decidedly likely that those two things happen. So, yeah, but y- both you of say these things worry me. You say that though, but everyone was worried we were going to overpay Tracy and Charles this year, and and we haven't. If there's one thing they've shown, they're very prudent with their deals, and if they don't feel the value's there, they won't give it. You know, because everyone's going, oh, God, we're going to overpay Tracy for one good season. We're going to overpay Charles for one good season. We're incredibly happy with the deals we gave them. So I don't expect them to break character for a cornerback who's had one good year, breakout year, and a tight end who's got injury issues. I don't. I just don't see them doing that. I've got absolutely no worry that we're going to overpay anybody. If anything, we've shown that 99% of our deals have been cost efficient. Yeah, I, I just... I just don't see it as overpaying, I think is where I stand on it. Well, and sorry, I take that back. If we pay him 18 a year or something, yes, we're overpaying. But if you put him exactly the top of the market now, you're paying him a year or two later than the other guy's deals, but 750k a year more than Dallas Goddard, nothing. Two and a half mil more than Johnny Smith. Two and a half mil more than Hunter Henry. These guys are fifth and sixth and sixth in the uh, contract. So then you've got Dalton Schultz at seven, Gasicki at eight, and Joko at nine. So these aren't superstars, right? Um, and I think that's just what you have to pay for a guy like Hawkinson. Now, if he has a big season next year, he plays 16 games and he becomes a comfortable top three, top five tie end, you might have to pay him 17, 18 a year. That's my concern with it. Um, so I would be happy to, in that kind of 14 to 15 range, which covers the top four people in the league, I would be happy with something like that. Makes a lot of sense. We've got Bob O'Lan, who I've not seen made a comment before. So thank you for joining us, my man. Uh, it says, Hutch at two would be like getting Saul at seven. Oh, wait. Um, let's see what else we have. Lots of chat about Malik Willis already. Don't worry, we will get there. In fact, we've got someone who is particularly akin with the argument coming on later on. In fact, I think that that Ryan should be on with us shortly. Um, Cool Down Rat says, Refirst round with tight end pits was number four. You're absolutely right. I was uh, overlooking that, mainly because he's a wide receiver and not a tight end, in my opinion. And he will be wide receiver one in that Falcons offense unless they take someone else. but I got corrected a second time by these guys, so it's not like that disclaims that either. Um, I think Cooldown might actually have one of the questions coming up for Ryan later. In fact, this was about the, the New Orleans Philly trade, so we're going to be asking that shortly. Um, what do you make about the, the Kayvon thing, just to kind of finish up the news segment here? So we sent seven reps to go and see him, as it was mentioned before, kind of presumptive top-of-the-draft guy pre-season in the non-quarterbacks, and the quarterbacks start falling. He's now the number one overall pick presumptive. And since that time, he's done nothing but tank his draft stock through, let's say, sound bites that have been construed badly, as it was said earlier. Um, 
that have been said in such a way to depress his draft stock in the eyes of the media. But are you guys buying that he's perhaps the number one option at two? I think that Ant had a take that I kind of agree with on Twitter about this. So I don't know if I can throw this to you straight away, Ant, about what you think about us sending seven scouts there or seven seven people. I think, well, all I said, in, in, in my opinion... When you send more play, when you send more scouts and staff to see a player, it's because you need you want as many opinions on the ground as you can. I think you send them to the players you're most conflicted with. The fact that Brad Holmes has gone, the fact that positional coaches have gone, area scouts are there. These guys are all going to have different opinions and they're going to be looking at different things in regards to a player. So I think you need the most insight on the ones you're most conflicted with, with the other guys who we've done it, Hamilton, it was a it was a small entourage. Willis, it was one guy, I think it was. You know, Aiden obviously got a few because, you know, they're in they're in Michigan and they all go to the local Michigan ones. But it, it, it says to me that they're very conflicted and they wanted as many viewpoints as possible. Don't forget, this is Brad Holmes' second trip to see him because he went to watch them when they played, I think it was UCLA, during the season. He's already been to watch Kayvon in game at least once and now he's gone out there for a pro day as well so he's really doing due diligence on him so if we were to pick him at this point I would at least be comforted to know that they've really put a lot of hard work and effort into deducing what's true about him and what's not true and I would back their decision on it What about the rest of you guys? I'm not bothered by all the people trying to bash him in all the sound bites. Like from what I've seen and what the pre-draft process, like uh, Veron McKinley, Michael Wright, they, they've hurt their stock. They've been poor working out, so it, it was easy to know that we were all there just to speak to him. They weren't looking at many others because a lot of them have shot themselves in the foot athletic-wise. I still think that his stock should be fine like you say he's come out the other day and said i am the best player in the draft and people have tried to say that will say he's arrogant or he's cocky like what the hell is he supposed to say if he genuinely thinks he's the best player in the draft he's going to say in like i say i'm totally fine with that like i say i think brad holmes in the photos having a good laugh with him chris spielman is giving him a proper dressing down you can see him glaring at him i feel like he is good cop bad cop and that chris is the bad cop he's the one that really wants to see what this kid's about and if everything's true about him, is he going to be a boom or bust? I agree. We had the other day that he could be the next Jadavion Clowner. He's got that potential to be a star, but can he live up to it? Because Jadavion today hasn't. I think I think the Lions will take care of it too. I think they have probably seen enough now and heard enough now to have made their mind upon him that he's the guy that they need to kickstart this pass rush and uh, put a rocket up the ass of the defence. So I'm fine with that. If they take him at two, I will have no qualms, even if I know that he often sometimes takes the odd playoff and against the run, he can be susceptible. But I'm willing to overlook that and trust everything that I've seen and heard now because at least we've done thorough research. We've sent everyone in the kitchen sink to go see him. Yeah, I think... I think, um, I mean, there's, there's so many different angles here. I, I completely agree with Ant in terms of, um, you know, the more coaches send, that just says there's uncertainty in the room and that no one's got a clear take. 
it also sends a massive a massive message to the rest of the league that says we're really interested in Kayvon Thibodeau um, and if anyone wants to you know get him they need to trade up um, and take our pick so you know that that's the other thing in terms of what Thibodeau has actually said he's not really said anything you know that you could construe as like outrageous if he says he's the best player in the draft people say he's arrogant if he was to say I think I'm the 27th best player in the draft. People would say he lacked ambition, um, you know, lacked fire. I mean, it, these, you know, everyone's looking for a story, and there's been a big pile on Thibodeau. Um, but personally, I think if we were going to make a reach for, um, you know, an edge rusher, uh, if Hutchison wasn't there, I think you'd, they'd probably go with Trayvon Walker because there's a higher ceiling. Like, why swing for the middle? In terms of like edge rush, edge rushers, I think um, I think they're very much looking to trade down, and I don't think Thibodeau is particularly on their radar because you know we could be facing a five and twelve, you know four and thirteen season, and I can't see Thibodeau's temperament being particular particularly um, suited to you know a, a, another tough year in Detroit. Yeah, I do have concerns over a market like Detroit for a character like that. He feels like a guy who would ideally be West Coast, something like that, winning team or more successful team in his eyes. So there are definite concerns. We actually had a really good chat about this on uh, our Discord channel, which, how, how do listeners find our Discord channel? Um, I'll tweet out a link or, I mean, that's pretty much it, really. We'll kind of talk to people and then send it on in a reply. I think Adam's done that a couple of times, so that's pretty much it. Awesome, because I always learn things in that in that channel. So it's a it's a good place if you want to talk lines. And um, we had a really good chat about it. And yeah, m- my view on it is he is the guy that I would take it to now. Assuming Hutchinson was off the board, I haven't actually wavered from that at any stage. Well, I've definitely considered other people, but he's been the guy, and I don't see a reason not to. That's mostly because we're not in the meeting rooms, we're not in the interviews. All we get is the immediate interviews, and I don't really judge people off that massively. Um, to the point around the seven people, the media will do anything right now to drill home this narrative about Thibodeau. Uh, Jerry, Jeremy Reisman had a um, comment about this today on Twitter, how they basically took a, a quote from, from Thibodeau basically saying, coaches can't kind of point things out to me that I haven't seen myself because he was talking about how he's always self-scouting, see, seeing how he can get better. And the quote that came out was, coaches can't teach me anything. And it's just, you see this kind of thing the whole time in terms of media trying to manipulate quotes which fit the narrative. Because as we've discussed already earlier on this pod on the past few pods, people are getting tired of the same discussions at the top. And so if that adds a few clicks, if that adds more interest, then that's what they'll go for. So um, is there no smoke without fire? Probably not. I'm sure there are definite character concerns with Thibodeau. Do I think he's the best player if Hutchinson is off the board? Yes, and therefore... That is that is why I would take him. Yeah, I mean, has he got me, the highest ceiling though, Tom? Uh, I, I think you could argue Trayvon Walker, given the athleticism, does. Um, but in terms of what I've actually seen on tape, Thibodeau has done the most freaky things out of any of those guys. Uh, most definitely more so than Hutchinson, but actually for me, more than what I've seen from Walker. Obviously, with Walker, your bang there is untapped upside but you don't even really get those flashes with Thibodeau I think the problem is you definitely get those flashes 
where you think, oh, this is a Miles Garrett, a Nick Bosa, a Chase Young, etc. But you also get inconsistency along the way. With Walker, you never see that. You see the testing and you think it should be in there, but partly because of the Georgia scheme, but at no stage do you really see things which I'm like, wow, that is the next star pass rusher in this league. You see really cool things like in the national championship game where he ended up running 30 yards downfield, full speed to make a tackle. And you're like, this guy's an amazing athlete. But I didn't really see anything which made me think this guy is going to be a top five all pro edge rusher in the league. Again, not to say he won't, but I don't necessarily think his ceiling is beyond Thibodeau in that way. And, and you also have to take into account the other mitigating factor that, you know, he operates, he operated in one of the best defences in college football history last year, Trayvon Walker did. I mean, when you've got Jordan Davis collapsing the pocket from the interior, you've got Key Walker, Devontae Wire, all these guys creating pressure as well. It also helps you, whereas Kayvon at Oregon, you know, they've got a decent pass rush there, but he is by far the guy who takes a lot of the attention, who takes, you know, a lot of the pressure is on him to create there, whereas, you know, with Trayvon, that was never the case at Georgia. They could just rotate in and out because they've got that many guys there. I mean, when you see a guy like Jermaine Johnson not able to get a look in, it just shows you what the depth is like. So he's now going to have to come to a team and and be the star guy. And can he do that? Kayvon has done that before. He hasn't. I mean, I think the thing that excites me in a trade-down scenario is if you have a look at past rush win rate, Trayvon Walker's well down there. But the guy that's actually up with Kayvon Thibodeau is George Karlaftis, who's fast becoming the forgotten man of this edge class. And the idea that we might be able to trade down to... 11 with Washington and be able to take Carl Aftis there would be massive for me in terms of getting edge and extra picks to be able to spend and make the team even better. I feel like Carl Aftis could be one of the steals of the draft at this point if he continues to fall and that fits with where the NFL have him as well. So there's so much choice in this edge class that it almost feels to me like it's hard to go wrong. So one of those things. We did have a question come in from someone. We are waiting for Ryan, but he's been stuck in traffic. So we're just going to get to a few more of your questions. If you do have any, do get them in. I think we should only be waiting another 10 minutes or so. Uh, there was a question from... If I don't click on someone's name, that will help. From David Reinfurt on Twitch, he says, your thoughts on Source Gardner, what's an appropriate pick to get him at? And we did profile secondary players, I believe. Um, earlier on in this cycle. So if you want to have a look at what we all said at the time, then please do go back and have a listen to that episode. But Tom, you, you seem to indicate something there. And for our audio listeners, what, what do you reckon about Source? Number two, that's where I would be more than happy taking him. I think with the exception of Malik Willis, who we will talk about later, and I'm not saying we take Malik Willis, Gardner would be the player that I am next most excited about us taking. Um, I don't think we will take him there, um, but I love him as a player. Um, and again, part of that might be because we're sick and tired of hearing the same names at two. I don't know. But I've always been a big um, Gardner fan. And I just, even though I think fans might lose their mind over it, I just think he's a fantastic player. And in a draft where you question some of the blue chip talent and we can't really decide 
who's ahead of who, with the exception of Hutchinson, which most people seem to have at the top. I absolutely think Gardner is in that next tier of prospects with Thibodeau, with uh, with Walker, etc. So, um, yeah, I would be. I'm not necessarily banging the table for us to take him at two, but I would be very excited if we did. And Steve, thoughts on Source? Uh, not, not. A, I, I, I'm not keen. Um, not that I don't like the player. I just, you know, there are other areas I'd rather invest in first, and you know. Corner is one of the areas where we've potentially got so much untapped potential at, at the minute. And the draft is also quite deep for cornerbacks. You could probably go back to round three or four and find someone who's going to be, you know, effective in our system. Don't forget, we got Mike Hughes to bed in now as well. I mean, I, I just feel like the pick could be spent better elsewhere, but it is absolutely nothing against the player. If we're talking this time last year, if we're talking last year's situation in the draft and we've got the same draft classes this year, then I'd, I'd 100% maybe go for him early because we, we need a corner desperately. But if we trade down, then fine, but not at two. Just, just a preference thing, nothing against the player. For me, corner isn't one of the top three team need positions on defence alone. Like... For me, it's edge, it's linebacker, it's safety. Those have got to be the defensive picks. I think this has got to be a defensive draft for us, but it would break my heart to take a corner or two, particularly after the Akuda experience. I think for me, I would, given no quarterbacks at the top of the draft, I would be absolutely fine taking Source at two in a vacuum. The thing is that I don't think that he would go earlier than three. I think that four at the Giants is the earliest he can go. So I'd be asking the Texans if they want to trade up for like a fourth round pick or something, because I'd be confident if I wanted Source, they wouldn't have picked him at two. Um, but that's really nitpicky. So I would be happy taking Source at two. I think he's got the production. I think he has got the traits. I think he's got the mentality. He's another one who's just come out and said he's the best player in the draft. And you know what? I'm not sure that he's wrong. So cornerbacks always have a hard rap coming into the league, especially first round corners thrown into it. I'm confident that he will struggle in his first half season. So if the Lions pick him, I'm sure the front office are going to be prepared to be lambasted for the pick. And, and then the production will show that to start with. But by the end of his contract, I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the premier secondaries in this league. Just a thanks to... Derek Bobarek, who's gifted another sub in the Discord channel this time to CJ Craig. Thank you so much for that, my man. Thank you. Um, what else do we have? Sorry, Jets at 1-4, Giants at 1-5. I meant Jets. Giants also could go corner too. My bad. Um, what else do we have? Just on the just while you're finding questions, mm. um, Steve, you mentioned Akuda there in terms of the pick at uh, three, which I think obviously it's kind of, it hurts a lot of Lions fans to think about how that went. It's quite interesting when you go down that draft though, because a lot of people now say Akuda disaster, bust, etc. And he could well be. I'm hopeful for this year, but obviously he hasn't gone to plan. But you look down that draft and take the quarterbacks out of it, and it's pretty barren in the top 10. In terms of guys that could have gone elsewhere, so if you just go down the list, Andrew Thomas, he actually stepped on at the back end of last year, but 
everyone was saying he was the biggest bust of the class in year one when he saw those other tackles take off. Tua was part of the kind of media discussion for the Lions, obviously hasn't really panned out for Miami yet. Herbert, obviously, yes, but he was never really a discussion for the Lions. Derek Brown was a big discussion. He is really not delivered. And all the people who said you can't take him at three because he's a defensive tackle, you can't get after the quarterback, have kind of been right. So would we have been that happy had we taken him? Isaiah Simmons, unicorn guy, he can do everything. Again, has not delivered. Um, CJ Henderson, off his team. So you look at all these guys, and obviously Akuda's been really unlucky with injuries, but they're really the other guys we would have gone for, and none of them have panned out. Uh, so I do think it's interesting looking back on that that draft in terms of obviously I would have loved Akuda to turn out to be a better player, not to be a better player, to have delivered more on the field when obviously he hasn't had the chance yet. But I'm not saying I'd be any more delighted with any of those guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Akuda was a bad pick. For me, I thought that was the right pick. It's just turned out to be a disaster in terms of circumstances. And I just think from a, a fan base point of view, having invested in such a high pick at corner, I, I just think that I just think it would be I, I'd be sweating every time he, he came, you know, if he took if he took source at two, I'd just be sweating every game. Every time he, you know, clutched his knee, I'd just be like. And I think compared to obviously the no pun intended, the safety in a pick of someone like Hamilton, another DB, who you have just such a lower concern, unless there's anything injury related, is gonna um is gonna struggle, I guess, in that sense. Then yeah, I, I mean I get it would be it would be tense at times, I think, for Lions fans. We have so much chatter. I'm I'm struggling to keep up actually in part, so that's good. Um Lots of set people saying hello from across the pond. Super Saiyan Lion said the the Cardinals are using Simmons wrong. That's why he's not doing particularly well. John Robinson and a few other people. Craig Ferguson is saying that if Gardner was grabbed at two, the fan base would, uh, fan base would riot, which I'm completely in accordance with. But I think, whether I that... think what I think what we're saying is that the linebackers usually work out pretty well here because you know. There was a good linebacker last year who's also done pretty well compared to some. So I have no this, idea who you're talking there's, about. There's, there's a really good linebacker this year as well, if you really want to go crazy for the house here. And ah, he's going to be yeah. an amazing player. We we <laughs> said, you know... You're a Quay Walker fan too, are you? <laughs> Get the hell out of here. <laughs> no damn well I don't mean Key Walker. Um, well, because Luke was talking the other day about thinking outside the box and players there, and Devin Lloyd would make 100% sense. I think, if you're thinking outside the box. Do it all linebacker. And the linebackers seem to have... Everyone goes positional value for linebackers. But I think Simmons did all right last year. Parsons has done really well. These linebackers at the top produce. So, uh, you know, it sides with me. Results do. In fairness to the Lions front office, it doesn't take much to for the make the Lions fan base uh, riot. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be a tough pick, isn't it? But yeah, and for me, linebacker, safety edge. I I just I just think that that's where we absolutely are crying out, crying out for like help. And whereas Gardner, you know, if Gardner's still there at thirty-two, but I just don't think he will be. Will you riot if there's no linebacker taken on day one or two of the draft? 
because obviously yes. there's some things this week coming out yes. around the uh, out on linebackers this year, etc. Which again we discussed on Discord. I don't necessarily believe, but I definitely think there's a realistic chance that we don't take one um, until '97 or maybe after that. And then I think fans are going to be, uh, yeah. Pitch I will one, riot. Yeah. I will riot in the top two days. I don't believe for one second <laughs> that Jeff knows what he's talking about in regards to this. You've seen him all over Twitter going, oh, I told you so, they're not going to go. It seems to be a petty thing for him where he's telling people we're not going to take a linebacker and then he's saying that we're not going to now. But I get this. We, we hear the argument that, oh, linebacker's not really important to scheme or anything like that, and it's one of the least valued positions in the home base defense. But look at the linebackers. They at least have to be competent to a degree. Now, Anzalone's a placeholder for when we get a solid vet to come in and take the role there. Barnes is still developing as a linebacker. You know, it's his second year, and he's got a lot of work to do. And, and then what have you got after that? You've got Pittman, who's a special teamer. You've got Dion Hamilton, who's a special teamer. You've got Board, who's a special teamer. Yes, they have upside in the linebacker position, but not one of them is more linebacker than special teamer. So your quality level is very low, even for a system that doesn't put emphasis on linebackers. There's not a lot of quality there at the minute. And I would be shocked and appalled in a way if they did not try to strengthen it in one way it only needs to be one guy because then you've got Barnes your new guy and Anzalone and you've got a lot of development rotational talent behind them to try and blood in but to do nothing about it would be criminal in my eyes yeah I, I, I'd love for us to take um, Devon Lloyd or Nicole Dean um, but you know it's, it's situational isn't it in terms of how the board falls I mean if we if the board fell, so we took Hutchinson and then say Briscoe at 32 and Christian Watson at 34, I'd kind of be okay with no linebacker. But if we kind of, yeah, because that's the kind of dream scenario for, for me, something like that. But if we end up like compromising and not getting the right player and no linebacker, I think it would be a disaster because, you know, it, it, it's just where we've been so barren for several years now. And the Jared Davis re-signing didn't fulfill me with massive confidence that we're on the right track in that area. Just wait until we take Zion Johnson and Roger McCreary at 32 and 34 and uh, with all those guys left on the board. <laughs> to be honest, I wouldn't mind Zion McCullum. Ryan wouldn't either. I think we, we no, know, no, sorry, Zion Johnson, as in Zion guard. Johnson. To oh. be honest, <laughs> yeah, no, it won't be great. But at the end of the day, he's a hell of a player. So, yes, yeah. <laughs> it would be upsetting. But at the same time, we get a damn good player. So, we can't 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 go wrong with that. Just want to welcome I'm just, in. I'm just, just looking at my mock and uh, everything you're saying. I'm just thinking, taking out ideas on board. <laughs> you said you're not changing your mark, Ryan. So don't give us that. Um, just want to welcome into the podcast no, Ryan Matthews from Steve, Pride of Detroit. There we go. Sorry, <laughs> Ryan. Thank you for joining us, man. Um, sorry about the the hold up in traffic. I hope you weren't too rushed coming in. And and how are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. How are how are you guys? Thanks for having me on the show. I'm still in my uh, my work clothes, so I. Uh... I still feel like this is very formal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's no dress down Tuesday where you are then. 
No, no, nothing <laughs> like that. Taco Tuesday. Uh, that's not so bad. Um, just going to kick off with a few questions for yourself and then get straight into this QB chat. That's cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. All right, let's do it. Um, just to start off with, you've been a, a fan of the Lions for a long time. I saw your kind of intro stuff when you first joined Pride of Detroit talking about, you know, being a fan since it was the, the Silver Dome and, and what have you. What brought you into writing and podcasting about the team? Is it something that you kind of always wanted to do um, that you maybe did before as a as a hobby and then this came up? Or did Jeremy and Chris be like, hey, we're doing this thing? Or what what happened? Yeah, so the the genesis of the podcast is an interesting story because it's something that my, myself and Chris Perfett, uh, we both kind of spearheaded uh, at Pride of Detroit because it was something that I know Sean Yule, who uh, originally ran Pride of Detroit, and uh, Chris and I were actually part of Sean's last batch of hires. So Sean hires us in the summer of 2015, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I think two weeks later, he goes, all right, I'm done. I'm handing everything off to Jeremy. So like Sean was my boss for like two weeks. And I don't think I edited a single article over those two weeks. I don't think I, I wrote anything over those two weeks. I just kind of idly sat there and was like, oh, cool. I'm part of this like little, you know, website called Pride of Detroit. And, you know, from there, it, it just really took off. And, you know, before I knew it, I was writing, um, I was writing fantasy football articles. Uh, I was doing daily fantasy football articles. Uh, because Jeremy wanted nothing to do with it. And, and still doesn't. <laughs> still wants nothing to do. He wants fantasy football to die a, a slow, arduous, awful death. Um, and that's fine. That's his opinion. But um, yeah, that was really how I broke into things. And, you know, he gave me complete freedom. And, you know, I can't thank Jeremy enough for for what he offered me in terms of an opportunity to really kind of develop my voice and to try different things, you know, like he was willing for me to throw anything at the wall to see if it stick. Um, you know, it was one week, it was, you know, here's your best lineup. And then the next week after failing terribly, it was, all right, these are the players you shouldn't start. And, you know, then, you know, a couple of weeks later it was, all right, you know what, here's my mom's attempt to put together a fantasy football lineup. So, um, he really, he gave me complete freedom and complete creative control over, you know, an article that he wanted nothing to do with, but that, that level of trust really went a, a long ways. So, um, kudos to him for that. And then, you know, he, you know, to kind of circle it back to the podcast, you know, it, it was something that Sean dabbled in a little bit, but didn't really do with any regularity. And Chris wanted to bring regularity and, um, I guess some form of, uh, you know, consistency and sustainability to having our voice out there. And, you know, we started up with, I I'm going to be honest with you guys. There was a third, there was a third man to the podcast who was there when we resurrected it. I have no idea who his name is. Like, I have no idea who that person is. I can't remember who that person is whatsoever. Cause it was so long ago. And, when we did it, it felt like, okay, cool. That was a fun way to spend two and a half hours, but this isn't going anywhere. And, you know, uh, to look back on that seven years ago, man, like it, it's, uh, it, it's really turned into something that I, I, I couldn't foresee it ever becoming. And then on top of that, like, it's really just because of the community, you know? Um, and I'm sure a lot of you guys are, 
are a part of that community too, of just Detroit Lions fans that, that make a lot of the stuff possible. Yeah, absolutely. The, the community is a huge part of, of everything that goes on. It's something said, but it's not a trope that the Lions fans are really passionate. I mean, you kind of have to be to be a fan of the Lions because if you're not, you'll soon find another team. So <laughs> they kind of <laughs> right. weed out the, the the weaklings of that that crop. Um, For sure. You're... So I've heard you speak about uh, on the pod that you're a teacher. I don't actually know what you teach. What what do you what's your subject? I, I teach English. Yeah, I teach language arts, and oh. um, uh, I also am in charge of the school yearbook. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, that brings up a couple of questions. What's the <laughs> what what's like the worst entry you've seen in the yearbook? Like the prototypical yearbook you see in America is like a kind of picture with a quote, isn't it, or something underneath? Yeah, you seem like mm-hmm. one that's made you kind of go like, "Wow, maybe we shouldn't put that in" or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, for better or for worse, I don't know if I can share the worst one that I've gotten. Um, but you would you would not be surprised at the kind of things that teenagers will try to sneak by me. And it's like I have a Twitter. Like I am way more up on things than you can possibly <laughs> imagine. Like I know when you try to slip by a quote from a porn star. Um, that's not going to fly. Um, but, um, you know, a a lot of them have a lot of fun with some of the best quotes that I've seen though, because a lot of them are just bad, you know, as, as a, as a teenager, as a 17 year old who hasn't gotten out into the world, they are trite. They, they lack originality. None of them are creative. Um, but every once in a while there, there are a few that come by that I'm just like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Like there was a girl who quoted, the undertaker but called him mark calloway by like his real name and i i i just thought i like i i was like you are so far removed from being a fan of professional wrestling there there's no way that you're a fan of the undertaker mark much less knowing his actual like legal name (laughs) mark calloway like that's it's insane um but yeah the yearbook is that's it's a lot like editing though. It's a lot like my, my role in that class is a lot like the role that I have at Pride of Detroit. It's a lot of overseeing. It's a lot of, you know, editing. It's a lot of making sure that things look good before they get to the public eye. And I guess you kind of being a teacher and having to speak in front of kids all the time and also being an English teacher and having to know correct syntax and, you know, no, it's not a semicolon there. It's a, it's a colon or it's a, a comma or whatever like kind of doing all of that must help you in both the writing and the the speaking aspects of what goes on because i know for all of us none of us being trained in this sort of thing kind of the learning curve for speaking and i mean so um steve's only just returned to the podcast of a hiatus with work and kind of came back and said you guys have really improved since i was last on and it's one of those things where like we we've gone from not being able to speak particularly well to, to where we are now which is i don't know average I, I think Chris Perfett might say that we were average. Um, you might say yourself. that you're adequate, right? Adequate, <laughs> true. true. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so do, do you think that's helped you in your development doing this? I think so. Yeah, you know, I, I was actually helping out a, uh, a former student of mine who's uh, pursuing a career in education himself. So he, he sent me some emails, some questions that he wanted to, um, for me to answer that his professor had given him. And the last batch of questions he gave me um, 
were what what were some of the things that were the biggest obstacles that you had to overcome uh, when, when you were first starting as a teacher? And like, I, I mean, I, I think it's natural that a lot of people have stage fright, right? Like getting up in front of a group of people and, you know, worrying about like, where is their attention at? You know, is my, is my zipper down? Like, just like a thousand thoughts cross your mind and you're like, I hope that I am presentable first and foremost. And secondly, I hope that you're listening and caring about what I have to say. And you develop that, right? Like, and it comes with practice. And I think that probably a lot of you guys can attest to this. Like the more you do it, the better you get at it. And it's just, it's like football, man. It's like reps. You know, if you're getting more reps in training camp, you're, you're probably going to get some playtime. And that, that's just how it works with, you know, podcasting and stuff like that. I had zero formal training. Um, I'm, I'm adequate at best myself. Um, you know, Chris stole that moniker from everybody else. So like, it was this easy way to be like, oh, I can excuse all of my hiccups and all of my mistakes by just calling myself adequate. So he stole all of that opportunity from us. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, rising tides and ships and all that stuff. So, there we go. yeah, I know that, uh, that our own Ryan is on a, on the clock at the moment. So we're going to get through a few more questions and then get straight into the QB stuff. So oh, for um, sure. just quickly. Your favorite moment on POD today, um, if you ignore Jamal Williams, because I really think that's a, an easy answer. Yeah, my favorite moment by far is the interview that Jeremy and I did with Herman Moore and Lomas Brown. Um, and I'm not sure if any of you guys listened to that podcast, but um, I, and I think it was probably, it was after we finished recording, I couldn't let Lomas go. So I actually, I applied for, Pride of Detroit when I was working for Coca-Cola. So I was working full-time for Coca-Cola. I was going to school at the same time. I was waiting on a delivery in the back room of a grocery store and I was sitting on a huge pallet of 12 packs of Coca-Cola. And I'm editing this mock article about Ryan Broyles injury uh, to send to Sean to see if I can you know, be a part of Pride of Detroit. So I send it off. But while I'm working for Coca-Cola on the route that I'm on, Every Sunday morning, I see Lomas Brown in the dairy aisle. Every Sunday. Every Sunday, I just say hello to him. I don't make a big deal about it. I'm not like, oh my God, you're Lomas Brown. I just go, how you doing? And he would always just really friendly respond and say hi. And always have a smile on his face. And Jeremy and I do that interview. And the whole time, I'm like, this is the dude that just like walked by me while he's talking, you know, 2% 2% milk and ice cream flavors with, you know, the guy who works in frozen over in the grocery, uh, over in the grocery store. And, you know, I, I go Lomas, I, I have to tell you this, but like, I, I would always see you at this grocery store, you know, in this city, uh, in, in Waterford, Michigan. And you were just always the most polite guy. And I just wanted to let you know that it was really cool, like interacting with you in that way. And he's like, you know what? He's like, I I would, he's like, that was part of my Sunday routine. Like I would go to the grocery store, I'd get my groceries, I'd come back and I'd watch the Lions game. And um, that was probably my coolest moment because it was where like all of my worlds kind of like merged and collided. And it was, it was like, oh my God, like this is, (laughs) this might be the summation of my life. Got a few um, questions from guys on Twitter just before we came on to get through, and a load of guys have been asking us in the chat, and I've been deferring this question until now. Cooldown Rat on Twitter was the first person to ask, and I know that you addressed this yesterday on the pod, 
but I'm going to ask it anyway. The New Orleans-Philadelphia trade, how does that affect at all, if it does, Detroit at two? Do you think it has any impact? I am of the mind that they made that trade to move up again. And I, I don't think they make that trade unless they have a bigger jump in mind because why not just package 18 and some future first round picks if you want to move up just a little bit. If you want to move up just a little bit, you can do that. But now they have the ammunition to move up in the top five. And I think that that has to factor into what, um, you know, the Lions are picking at two. Brad Holmes talked about how they're open for business. There's multiple, you know, players at multiple positions that they can turn the card in and they can, and they can sleep easy at night. So it, it seems like, and, and, and the most telling thing is I think that, that um, the question that Jeremy asked Brad was, um, you know, would you be comfortable making the trade regardless of knowing who Jacksonville takes at one? And Brad Holmes was like, yeah, like we, we can make that trade regardless of who they take at one. So it, all signs point to the Lions being open for business. And I, I, I really hope that, you know, New Orleans can offer them some kind of godfather package that 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 has Detroit moved back because I, I've talked about this before, but you know, I, I was so envious of the position that the Philadelphia Eagles were in. You know, we, we keep talking about this draft being one that's so heavy on depth and kind of light on blue chip prospects, and having a top five pick isn't exactly a glamorous thing in this year's draft. So moving back definitely definitely has my attention. We have Mike, Michael Lucci's on Twitter who said, could you see the Lions taking a developmental prospect at quarterback this year, i.e. Zappi, Glass, etc.? Which is kind of what we're going to get into later. But can you see it generally? I mean, do you think that Blau is solid at quarterback three? I guess is maybe the question. Maybe. I, I think Blau fits that role of the quarterback three, right? He's the guy who you, you don't necessarily want to see on the field but does a lot of good work behind the scenes. I think that's your quarterback three. If you're going to roster three quarterbacks, you know, most teams mm. rostering only two quarterbacks, especially once you become a, a team that's in contention, you're not using that. You're not using that extra roster spot on a quarterback three. So I think Blau is serviceable in that role. Could he be improved? Yeah, he could, he could. And, you know, but there's a trade-off there, right? Like bringing in, bringing in Bailey Zappi is it's interesting. It's new. It's exciting, but does he have the wealth of knowledge that David Blau has? I'm not sure. Right. Final one. And then we'll just see if the guys have any questions, but Tribnik on Twitter said is, and this is something that is basically verbatim what, um, what was said last night, but is Matt Corral slipping or are people just keeping quiet? Matt Corral is an interesting case study in, what happens when you get injured late in the season, right? Like he, he didn't have an opportunity to, to show up at the combine and to throw and to, to do drills and things like that. I think it's kind of like the inverse of Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Like I, th I think there's a lot of prospect fatigue with Thibodeau. I think there's a lot of, okay, we're sick and tired of this guy being the number one overall pick in every single one of our mock drafts. And then people start to poke holes. Right. And, and I think a lot of people have, have, done the same thing to Matt Corral in a way in, in the sense that, you know, we, we last saw him so long ago that he's kind of fallen out of our, you know, the forefront of our minds. 
So, yeah. All right, boys, any questions for Ryan uh, before we move on to the QBs? All right. No, right, we'll move on straight away then to, Perfect. to the quarterbacks. So, Ryan, you're going to take us back to back for your picks, just so if you have to slip off, then you can. And we're going to start off with Skylar Thompson from Kansas State, one of the maybe late guys on day three to look at. What, what have you seen from him? Yep, Skylar Thompson, Kansas State uh, Wildcat product, six foot two, two hundred well, kg, two twenty pounds. He'll be twenty five in June. He's had five year career from seventeen to two thousand twenty one, seven thousand plus yards, but only forty two touchdowns and sixteen interceptions in that time. He has had a season ending serious shoulder injury and a knee injury that did hamper him last year. So there are been blows there, but watch the film. I've seen his games. I watched the film when they beat TCU and then the KC Network highlights. Uh, he's got quite a strong arm. I've seen him for an opposite hash line, so he can go between the 20s and he can move well across the field. Uh, a nice fast release as well. I see the ball snapped. I see the eyes up. I see him make reads and then he gets the ball out quickly. Whether that's dumping it off to Juice Vaughn, his dynamic running back, or taking a shot downfield, a measured approach he plays with. Uh, he's got a nice zip there, throws the ball with a nice velocity. And he also evades pressure well. I've seen him come up and he sidestepped a defensive tackle, someone that's broken for the offensive line, and he's looked to scramble out to the mainly to his right. I didn't see him turn all the way around and go to the left. So he does feel like he favours one side more. But throwing on the uh, he keeps the feet down, he doesn't throw too heavily on the back foot, but he's got a nice release there and uh, does well on the throw. So he did have average testing for a quarterback that's not too heavy. He ran a 491.40, which isn't great for someone that would probably have to be a dual-threat dynamic athlete to make it onto a roster there. But the biggest worry thing for me is that for 40-plus starts, only 42 career interceptions, you can take into account the injuries, but he only really counts for 1.1 touchdowns per game in the career. So I feel like he's very safe which is too safe. He doesn't take those risks. I see him sometimes pass on the deep ball and then take a check down or hit someone across the middle. I don't know if that's because he doesn't trust the arm or he's just scared of making a mistake or a turnover. I don't see him starting at the next level, but I feel like he could go that six, seven, probably a priority undrafted free agent, but he could make a potential QB3 back up next year if he can prove those injuries won't hinder him long term. But I have seen him linked to the Lions in the seventh round or a UDFA flyer so there's a lot to like there there's a lot it's just had a very hampered college career unfortunately and the Wildcats have had talent that they just weren't able to make most of when he wasn't on the field what about the rest of you guys have you guys seen any of Skylar Thompson at all I want to say real quick speaking of a lot to like Ryan I love that sweatshirt I love bubbles I love that I love that font that is pristine but go ahead. I want the old badge back. I'd love for us to go back to Lago. Yeah. Skyler Thompson, boys, anyone seen anything from him? I've no? seen approximately zero snaps of Skyler Thompson. So <laughs> either we go deep into Ryan's fashion sense instead. No, I, I've got nothing to add on Skyler, I'm right. So I kind of watched some highlights um, from him before. And I mean, the highlights, obviously, you're not going to see very much apart from the good that you've seen. But in him, I saw someone that I thought, oh, this is like a solid dual threat guy who can kind of evade people in the pocket, who can be a rushing threat. There was a lot of kind of 
zone read stuff that I saw where he was kind of punching it in. But then he runs a 491, and at that weight, you've kind of got to go, well, that's just not going to work for you at the next level. So if you take away that that running ability, because you can't do that running a 491 as a quarterback, right? That's, that's not going to work. Has he got the, the, the arm to do it? And he's got a good arm. Like, he's he is all touch and no cannon. So you're looking at, like, someone who... You know, if the stars align and he hits the absolute best player that he can ever be, he will be a poor man's Alex Smith. Like, someone who just doesn't push it down the field, but has got a fantastic touch pass 20 yards deep. And that, you know, that could operate an offense pretty nicely, actually. If you've got a, a horizontal offense, if you've got a West Coast team, that, that could be pretty nice. But I don't think, for me, he's someone that the Lions should be looking at even late I didn't see enough from him that kind of made me think this guy can come in for you in relief for a minor injury and kind of shepherd you through the game I didn't see that from anyone else he's had a really bad season in regards to injuries so I think yeah that's what I find he's not maybe run as quick he was having a really good year up until he got injured and that Kansas State team have been fairly decent for the most part so but he, he's, he's on that group where He's undrafted. Someone might give him a chance. And, you know, if he stays healthy, might be able to become a career backup if he tries hard. But just need someone to take a chance on him. But yeah, it's not us. All right, Ryan, we'll move on to your final guy. Um, bumping this one up. We are kind of doing it in reverse order of interest. But we'll bump this one up just for you. Sam Howe out of UNC. What, what did you see from him? Presumptive number two overall pick coming into the season. I, I I still got a lot of interest in Sam Howell, the uh, the UNC Tar Heel product. Roughly six foot one, 100 kg. He'll be 22 in September. Three-year starter from 19 to 2021. Roughly 11,000 plus yards, 92 touchdowns and 23 interceptions. And this year alone, he had 183 rushing attempts for 828 yards and 11 touchdowns. That's because his all-line folded quicker than a, a deck chair on a Whitby coast in the bad wind because... He got no help behind a terrible offensive line, unfortunately. So I've seen a lot of him, though. Like I said, I've watched a lot of games this year. The Florida State game was one of them as well. And uh, the Miami really impressed him. First thing I want to know is he's super tough. He had got hit so many times this year. He was flushed out of the pocket. Those runs weren't all designed. He had to run for his life sometimes. And he played through multiple knocks and injuries. Saw a little bit of Stafford in him in that sense. He's a stocky little guy. He's quite muscly as well, so he's got a good, strong physique there. Uh, when you see him rush, there's a nice balance to him. Like I said, before this year, he's never been a rusher. He'd only had like 250 yards rushing, but he's quite sneaky and deceptive. Like I said, he knows when the, the ball's not there, tucks it, hits a hole, and he's got a good low centre of gravity, being just over six foot as well, so... He can make a person miss, and he's got a foot race to get to the end zone. So he had a really good year on the ground, and that that elevated him for me here. Cannon arm, like I say, I've seen him drop multiple bombs into the likes of Josh Downs and uh, Corrales, his tight end. 50, 60, 70 yards, he can put it on there, and the velocity is incredibly fast. When he fires it out, when they're over the middle, or the running back come out, like I say, he puts heat on that ball. He looks a bit like a baseball pitcher. He gets the snap. Like I say, he doesn't mess about with it at all. He gets his eyes up, 
goes through his progressions and he puts touch on it, but he fires it in when he has to. And the thing I love is that he hits guys in stride. Like I say, he doesn't shy away from those small windows where you could get an interception if it's undercut. He puts the ball in where it needs to be. He hits the man where it needs to be in his hands and then he lets them do the yards after catch there. So for me, he's a phenomenal passer. Like I say, he's had really good rushing numbers this year. He's played through some knocks and shown a lot of toughness. So I'm really high on him. I think he's a really good to great quarterback that's been on a, a fairly poor team that's really struggled in ACC for a number of years. And I think he's going to go in that like 20 to 40 range. If he's on the board at 34, I am sprinting to the podium. I will honestly take him because I do see little bits of Stafford in him. He does take the odd risk. I have seen him throw into double coverage or try to force a ball in deep that wasn't there and it gets taken back the other way, which for sometimes him could put the brakes on a little bit more, but he's a true competitor and he's a proper great little guy. So I, I love everything about him. Ryan, how about you? What do you reckon on Sam Howell? I think there's a lot, <clears throat> excuse me. I, you know, uh, Ryan mentions that there's a little bit of Stafford to his game and I, I agree with him in the sense that he's a very, uh, attacking quarterback like he wants to get the ball downfield he wants to push it downfield he has the arm talent to do it he reminds me like he has shades of russell wilson to his game like i think that he's built very similar to him i think he has that escapability in the pocket as ryan mentioned he was really struggling with that north carolina offensive line that was ahead of him um i think that it was something like uh let me see the stat here yeah 12.2 percent sack rate um, which is like a historically awful number, right? Like that's just somebody who was also trying to do like way too much. And that's kind of been the knock on Russell Wilson too. Like at the, at the pro level is Russell Wilson gets sacked a lot. Yes. It's partially, you know, the Seattle offensive line that struggled, but at the same time sacks are a quarterback stat too. And I think that Sam Howell tries to extend plays a little bit too much when he scrambles, but how can you really fault the guy with the offensive line he was playing behind, he lost a lot of his playmakers um, in, Di- in Diami Brown and Daz Newsome. Those guys all went to the NFL um, a year ago, and he was, you know, stuck trying to, you know, pull up this team that that he had around him. So, I I, I like Sam Howell. Um, I'm not sure if I'm crazy about any quarterback at 32, but if if he slips through the cracks and you know if he's there, you know late second round if the lions want to do some maneuvering and move up and grab a quarterback you know if he's their guy uh on on their board at that point you know i i wouldn't hate it opening up to the floor what have you seen from sam i mean i'm with ryan we've we've been pretty consistent in our defense of him this season i think the overreaction to that first game he played in was it's one of the biggest overreactions i've seen to a player ever that he was number two he was a number two rated pick at the start of this year he has one bad game and all of a sudden he's forgotten about but he was in such a bad team last year he lost all his playmakers like it's been said his offensive line was trash to put it for want of a better word he was running for his life most of the season you know he's got the toughness he's got all the capabilities and the weapons you need at the next level and i'm with ryan if he if he sat there at 32 or 34 i want defensive picks all along the way but I couldn't say no to him. If we took him, I'd be secretly delighted because I think he's been marginalised that much by that one performance that, you know, someone's going to get a steal with him. I think he should be a lot higher. I think he potentially could be a lot higher. 
it really feels like people want to take him as an FU to the people who don't like him rather than taking him on his merits. Or not solely, no, he's just a great a player. He's a great player. And he got entirely too much criticism for that first game, which was absolutely not justified. Yeah, yeah it was and, an overreaction for sure. Because I wasn't big on him before then. But as the season went on, he got better. He found new playmakers. He made new stars. And they had a decent year in parts. But the defense was awful. It was just a bad team lost a lot of its core last year and he still managed to play well. So I, I could not There's say no there. to him. There's a lot of people that keep calling him Baker Mayfield and it's very easy, but it's a bit lazy. Like say he's very. not Baker Mayfield. I think he's a little bit tougher and maybe a little more athletic when he takes off as well. Steve, Tom? I think it is interesting exactly what you say there, Anne, about the overreaction early because I see a lot of uh, issues is too strong a word, but questions about his game, similar to a guy we're going to get to later at Liberty, um, who also had bad games, but no one actually talks about those. Um, so I think it is interesting in the, the the overreaction because of where he came in, obviously dropped him way, way down. And we don't quite talk about him in the same way other players. That being said, accuracy, anticipation, progressions, the fact he did bail out because of that line and the lesser supporting cast. These are all things we saw out of Willis too, but I think we see them with Howell as well. And that concerns me a bit more. I expected to see a little bit more polish when I went back and watched. Um, and because he doesn't have that same athletic upside as someone like Willis who we'll get to, he does concern me a bit more. Um, I was hoping when we got to the senior bowl down in Mobile, he was really going to step up. Uh, and I was a little underwhelmed, to be honest. So I may be a bit lower on him. Steve? Yeah, I mean, um, I think when, when we were like zero and eight and we were like in full tank mode, the, you know, the howl hype train was gathering momentum. And I get frustrated with these like lame uh, uh, sort of tank club names like Tank for Trevor. So I came up with throwing the towel for howl, which I, I think is like inspired. And then it just died. Like it just all died. Um, so, you know, I've got a lot of regrets for that. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I can add much more that, than Ryan and, and Ant have said. I think he's probably more accurate than Baker Mayfield. Um, and I'd just be horrified that the Lions taken someone like him at 32 when we've got, so, you know, we've just been talking about the defence and all of the you know, needs that we've got at linebacker, at safety. I just can't see the value in in investing in a pick at 32 or 34 or maybe even at the end of the second round for someone like Howell who yeah he's got a huge arm but there's so many flaws um, and he would probably need to sit for at least a year um, it just doesn't feel like the right move for me yeah I, I don't think he's a year one starter so I think that the offense in North Carolina really hampered him all the way through his career because I think that it is a pretty simple offense most of the time, especially when he has all those elite receivers a couple of years ago. It was a lot of gobles because his receivers were just so good. Why would you not throw over the top? And in doing so, he didn't actually show a lot of a variety of throws. And it wasn't really a kind of pro ready offense that he was, he was operating in. Now, getting rid of those guys and actually being forced to do something a bit different this year, for me, has actually shown that he has a bit more to his game than I thought he had. So despite the fact that he played worse, I'm more encouraged this year than I was last year with Sam. 
The problem is, is that I perhaps didn't see quite enough to say he's definitely going to be able to get this to the next level. I worry that his his ceiling is struggling starter, much like maybe people regarded the sort of Jared Goff level before the start of this year. I kind of worry that that's maybe not in terms of style, which is in terms of perception. Like I worry that that's his ceiling, and he's just not going to get any better. And the sort of mobility that he showed this year, which kind of came out of nowhere, isn't going to be a factor at the next level because he just lacked... Even though he's going to run like a... I think he ran a 4.65 or something like that. And that's fast for a quarterback. It's not fast enough to escape the elite edge rushers in the NFL. So, sorry, but you aren't running away from these guys. So, you've got to do it with your arm. He can. Can he do it consistently? Can he get beyond his his first read consistently, which he did a bit of? But I don't know. I struggle with him. If you can if you can get him for a third, I'm jumping on that. But at 34, 32, I think it's it's rich for me. And I think actually that's going to be a theme with a lot of these guys. Is I think it's rich. I I'm way down on this class generally. Um, I'm fine with taking a chance on any of them. But there we go. Right, that's fair enough. Any any blowback? Any any further follow up on Sam? Because I know he's one of these guys who's kind of he's PFS number one quarterback. He's some guys number five, number six. So and it kind of feels like the quarterback class is all over the place at the top here. So I, I think that's um, I think that speaks to the entire class, though, right, Matthew? Like if, if you look at the whole class, there really isn't a hierarchy to it. It seems like everybody's all over the place with their quarterback rankings. I mean, like you said, you, you go to Pro Football Focus and Sam Howell's their number one quarterback. You go to the ringer and Danny Kelly, he's the last of the you know top tier quarterbacks. And they're kind of just all over the place. I, I know um, somebody that we that we talked to quite a bit, uh, Brett Whitefield, um, who used to work for Pro Football Focus, he he's pretty high on Sam Howell. Like he's like he's right there. He he's below Malik Willis, but but I think that Brett would be on board with Sam Howell at 32 or 34 for a lot of the reasons, you know, Ryan, Ryan spoke about, and even um, Anthony to, to, to some respect, like he has, and, and he's 21. So, I mean, like he has room to grow, he has room to develop, but I, I agree with you, Matthew. Like, I, I don't think that he comes in, he, he shouldn't be put into a place where he needs to start immediately. And I, I think with the lions specifically, if you want to showcase Sam Howell, you want to get the ball down the field and you want to attack vertically a lot. And I'm not so sure if the Lions want to do that all the time. Well, I guess it depends where some other premier talent does and how DJ Chark does and whether we can re-sign him. You know, there's, we have so little invested in wide receiver that we can pretty much go anywhere in 2023. So we shall see. Right, let's move on to our third guy going back down into day three or priority UDFAs. Ant's first guy from Alabama A&M is Akil Glass. What did you see from him? Oh, it's me. Oh, I'm gone. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, got my notes there. I thought someone was before me. Then I realised Ryan's was before me. Stop going to shoot guys anyway, so. That's cool. Cheers, Ryan. Uh, See you later, guys. Have a nice night, Ryan. Bye. Take it easy, Ryan. Um, yeah, so Akil Glass. So I, I specifically asked for these guys in the later rounds of the draft because we've been keeping an eye on them for some time now and outside of the Sam Howell talk I've said that you know maybe we should go Howell high but for the most part I've really been of the opinion that we need to go for a development guy this year Goff is going to be 
Goff is going to be here for the next year. I think he's going to be the starter. That's undeniable. But it doesn't mean that we can't start to facilitate maybe a transfer of power or, you know, just 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 have a go in the later rounds and then maybe go for a big guy next year if it doesn't work out. And I think that this draft, everyone talks about how bad the top of the class is, but I think there's some underrated gems to be found in the later rounds. So like I say, I've specifically been... I specifically asked for these guys. Just so say the first one, Akil Glass. He's the quarterback from Alabama A&M. He's been there for five years. They play in the FCS in the SWAC. That's the Southwestern Athletic Conference. The FCS is the second division of uh, college football, like where Trey Lance came from last year. Um, Akil Glass, he's 6'4". He's 230 pounds. Got a really good frame for an NFL quarterback. However, History is against him when it comes to uh, guys coming from where he does in the draft. So if anyone who doesn't know, if you've been listening to the college podcast that we do, we've taken a look at the HBCU scene for a while. That's the higher black college and university scene. It's an area where a lot of schools come from. Um, And a lot of the players there have not really had opportunities in the draft in recent years, but there's some really good talent coming out this year. We took an eye on it on the college podcast. We focused on the legacy game. We focused on the combine. And this was one of the guys who really stood out early for me. Um, The last time HCBU quarterback, by the way, was taken in the draft, this was, we're going back to 2006. Vikings took one in round three. So it's not something you come across often, but it's trying to find the, uh, the diamonds in the rough, find the exceptions to the rule. And I do really like this guy. So over his career, he's thrown 923 passes out of 1,573 attempts. That's a 57% completion rate. And he's got 12,136 passing yards, 109 touchdowns, 41 interceptions, a passer rating of 148.7. That's gone up year on year. And he's also got four rushing touchdowns as well. Not really a dual threat guy, but he doesn't need to be. So as I say, he's spent five years as a starter there, which automatically makes him one of the most experienced quarterbacks that you've got coming up in this draft. He helped lead Alabama A&M to their first SWAT title in over 15 years. He's really gone there and had a good effect on this franchise, but it wasn't all plain sailing for him. He struggled badly as a freshman. He had the wrong coach, came in at the wrong time. The team wasn't very good, but then luckily for him, his fortunes changed. They had a new head coach go there. He goes by the name of Connell Maynor. So he's a 20-year veteran of the uh, NFL scene, played in the AFL there as well. Also a HBCU quarterbacker, someone who's been a real good role model for him there. And he's really flourished under his uh, under his leadership. So as a player, he's got the physical build, like I say, 6'4", 230 for what you want. And he's also got the arm strength required to play in the NFL. He can make throws outside the numbers. He can do the downfield throws with ease. He gets the zip on his passes. He can put really lovely passes into tight coverage. It's one of the things that steps out about him when you first look at some of his tape there. But the crown jewel of his game is his decision-making. So he has an innate ability to protect the ball against turnovers. Obviously, in five years, only 41 there. It's about nine a year compared to some of these guys. They do throw a lot of picks. But when it comes to throwing the ball, he puts it in areas where only the receivers can really get at it. He minimizes the chances of a defender trying to take a pick away from there or anything like that. If the passes aren't good, they're incomplete. They're not really turnovers from that point of view there. 
The progression reading is something that's improved from him over the years. You can see him going through the reads. He's got a very good eye when it comes to reading defensive backs, being able to manipulate the back of the field there, which helps him select the right pass to make, again, something over the years that you can see he definitely gets better with. The pocket awareness as well is really good from him. He's not the most mobile guy, not at his size, but he doesn't need to be. He's got a keen ability to sense the collapsing pocket. And when, you know, when he's, no, so where are we? The thorough read of the field, he can step up, he can make the throws under pressure. So he's not a guy who's going to panic. He's not a guy who's going to make errant throws and just give it away. He's very sensible when it comes to that. And also with his build, it means he's very good at withstanding contact in the pocket. He can shrug off the challenges. He can get out from danger if he needs to. Um, he can roll out and throw it. It's not something you want him doing very often. You do want him to work from a bit of a cleaner pocket, um, but he is able to scramble if he needs to do so. So there's a lot of good to like about his game and a lot that you can develop with him. But as with everybody coming out of college, there are bad sides to the game as well. And his is his lower body mechanics. He's got some real work to do with these. He's got a really inconsistent plant technique with his feet. It affects the accuracy of his throwing. Obviously, it's only 58% in college, which isn't the greatest completion rating in the world. And if he's under serious pressure, he's one of those who'll start throwing off his back leg. It means his passes lose a lot of juice. Sometimes they do fall short, are prone to interception if he's put under a lot of pressure there. So it, all it means really is the throwing is quite inconsistent. He has shown that he can make the elite throws when he wants to, but more often than not, the feet do have a say in it, which isn't the greatest thing in the world for him. But Crucially, it's something that you can work on. I think overall, you've got the intangibles to work with. You've got the size. You've got the strength that you need with him there. It's just some mechanical issues to work with. And he's got the IQ as well to play the game. And I really want to see this QB room freshened up. I want to see a guy come in and be able to challenge um, Blau and Boyle because quite frankly, I'm fed up of the pair of them now. And I think there's a real opportunity for a rookie to come in and have a go. And I think if you can get this guy's technique sorted, then you're going to have a guy who can potentially challenge sooner rather than later. Like I say, he's coming out of small school, but that doesn't mean you should sleep on him. I really like this guy. Yeah, I watched a bit of tape of his before we came on air, actually. And I came away pretty impressed with, you know, and in agreement with a lot of what you said, he was able to make very accurate throws when given a kind of clean pocket or if he kind of was escaping on his own terms he seemed to be able to you know do very well on the front foot he's able to kind of get it in there I thought he had quite a nice touch even though it's listed in a couple of draft reviews that he didn't have great touch I, I completely disagree and thought he had pretty good touch and able to kind of as you say get the ball to places where only his receivers can get it I think for him his biggest problem is just inconsistency like you say when he's pressured when he gets on his back leg I think he finds it difficult and it's just one of those things that he's beat. The thing is, I want to say he needs more experience. He needs more reps. The problem is he's been there five years, as you say, and how many more reps does he need to get comfortable? This sort of thing. I I don't know for sure, but I've got to be convinced that A&M don't perhaps have the best offensive line in the world and you are going to face pressure in the NFL. So I don't know whether that just massively limits what he's going to be able to do with you guys. You can see the progression already because, I mean, he took part in the NFLPA collegiate game not long after the season ended. 
he went nine of 11 for 141 yards and a touchdown. And you could already see that with coaching. So I know he's hired a specialist to help him with the footwork. He was already looking a lot better than what he was in the season there. And in terms of us, we are actually quite a spot we can land for him because one, you don't need him to challenge instantly. He can come in, he can get these mechanics worked on and develop at his pace. But even if you do need him to come in eventually, this is a guy who thrives when he's in a pocket, which is kept free of pressure. And when we have our starting offensive line out there, there's very few better places to be able to go than to give him the time he needs to use his arm strength, which is his big weapon. Just needs to sort out those feet. But there's absolutely no reason otherwise that he can't. He's had a really solid off-season. His pro day was really good. I know we were there at his pro day, one of a few teams that were. The Lions have taken a real interest in the HBCU scene this off-season. And it really wouldn't surprise me to see one or two players come from there, especially with the draft picks as well. So I can already see the progression there with him. I think I, I didn't use this comp as a big thing, but he's like in the style of Philip Rivers in that he's not going to run everywhere, but he uses his IQ to do all his damage in the pocket. And he's very good at sensing when pressure's coming, getting rid and keeping the turnovers down. So he's in that mold. If you just need to develop him, right, and get those feet sorted, he'll be well on his way. I'm really, really, I would be really interested in us going after him later on and challenging these two behind Goff because they need it, quite frankly. There's a reason all these guys are developmental, right? I guess my challenge with Glass is you touch on the mechanics and the accuracy issues that come out of that, but he is a really poor-performing athlete. Um, so if you combine someone who has mechanical issues, accuracy issues, and then can't escape anything, that's a concern to me. I mean, I'm just scanning down his RAS score now, and if it wasn't for his size, it might be an all-time worst score in the, at the QB position. 40-yard dash, 0.17, 20-yard split, 0.83, vertical, 0.22, broad, 0.63. It's all 0.something. Um, and I completely understand your point that his game isn't to run around people, obviously, and, and you wouldn't be asking him to do that. I'm just reluctant in the modern game to take guys that are statues uh, unless they can showcase really elite tra traits elsewhere. And I would rather gamble a developmental guy on someone who shows elite traits and then hope that some of the other stuff you can fix. I'm just not sure he has it. Well, I've got one for you next then, so. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, Steve? I mean, um, again, I think Ant's pretty much done a, a good job of, um, you know, trying to sell this guy as a development, a can't even say the word, <laughs> development medical, <laughs> say it, as a promising QB. We need an English teacher. Am, am <laughs> I having a stroke? What's going on here? Um, we don't want to know, <laughs> please. Um but yeah, I mean, I, I just keep thinking Kellen Mond. Like, that's just going through my head. Um, and again, it just feels like a luxury that the Lions can't afford. Um, I mean, do you think he'll be around in sort of sixth or seventh round, Ad? Oh, these are all late. These are day three, guys. I'm not selling anything more than that. That's the whole reason. He is a small school guy coming from traditionally a scene which doesn't produce many, you know, no players were drafted from there last year at all. 
but it's all about trying to find the developmental talent and the traits to work with. And that's what I quite like with him. Yeah. So there, there are priority UDFAs and there are UDFAs. I think Glass is a UDFA, but he's a he's a player, he's a prospect that I think might entice a few teams, right? Just based on the intangibles, like like Anthony mentioned. Like I mean, the size. He's six foot five. He he fits the mold. He fit, he fits the frame of of you know that quarterback that you know, everybody's after, uh, in terms of like the Josh Allen. Right. But, um, there, there's a lot of, of stuff to clean up. So I, I think that's where he fits. Hopefully he finds a home somewhere on a practice squad and he can, he can work on his game. All right. Let's move on yeah. to our fifth, uh, fourth guy from Western Kentucky. Tom is taking on someone that we had, I think at the senior bowl, Bailey Zappi. Yeah, we did indeed. Um, so Bailey Zappi, Western Kentucky, he's 6'1", 215 pounds, which you'll find is a running theme through a number of these quarterbacks. Um, played his final year at Western Kentucky, but actually transferred from Houston uh, Baptist before then. Uh, so last year through an FBS single season record, 5,940 yards, completion percentage of 68.7%. Um, he had 62 touchdowns with 11 interceptions. Uh, passer rating of 118.5. So he's not lacking stats, that we can confirm. Uh, PFF grade of 87.8 last year. Uh, and the previous two years, he had grades of 84.0 and 90.7. So he's always been graded out well. Um, and athleticism-wise, relatively average across the board, not necessarily a bad thing then. So in terms of strengths, um, it's hard to ignore the record-breaking career. Um, and he's performed really everywhere he's been. Uh, so even when he hasn't been starting, when he's got reps, he has delivered. He's delivered stats, he's delivered touchdowns, um, and he's had a high volume of this really the whole way through. But he's also had low turnover numbers too. So in terms of if you're just kind of reading off the box score, so to speak, um, there is a lot to be impressed by in what he's done throughout his career. Pre-snap, he's in control. He understands defensive schemes, coverages, etc. Um, and we'll come on to some of his uh, projection, let's say, but obviously that can help him in a QB2, QB3 role. Um, accuracy is good in general. I think that's shown by the low turnover numbers. He does show some inconsistency, though. Uh, I think when I knew of him and coming into the senior bowl, I was expecting this perfectly accurate uh, guy, which isn't necessarily what comes across. Um, really nice touch passer. He shows a really fantastic ability to throw with anticipation. Um, it's really as good as anyone in this class, to be honest, in terms of how he anticipates and throws guys open. There's a concern, which we'll get to on his arm strength, as to how that will translate. But at the college level, it was it was really, really impressive. Ball placement on deep ball is excellent. Um, he's not going to be throwing it 70 yards downfield, but he throws a nice, uh, nice deep ball. Um, and whilst he doesn't have um, above average arm strength by any means, I was expecting some guy who was just had a pea shooter for an arm. And that's not really the case. I think it's probably below average, but it's not, it's not as disastrous as maybe I was expecting it to be uh, going into it. So um, on the downsides, I do worry about his ability to make NFL throws. So yes, he, he doesn't have a disastrous arm, but this is the NFL, right? We need you to have a really an above average arm and he just doesn't have that. So um when you combine that with someone who does need to stay on platform, think of him almost as the anti-Stafford in that regard. You're not going to see lots of funny arm angles. You're not going to see 
him kind of throwing off uh, off his back foot and, and throwing with accuracy. If he doesn't set his feet, if he does throw off his back foot, um, it's all over the place. Um, he does make more mistakes than I think his numbers suggest. So obviously historic career, but when you go a little deeper and watch some of the film, I actually saw quite a few mistakes, if I'm honest. Um, and I think that actually came up on the senior bowl too, and that he wasn't, not that anyone was expecting a perfect um, prospect, but I think there were more inconsistencies than maybe people expected going in. Um, he worked out of a very clean pocket at Western Kentucky as well. Uh, when you saw him get to the senior ball, get pressured, especially when he actually took the game reps, it showed up a bit. He can hold on to the ball. And when he does get forced outside the pocket, he just doesn't really have that ability to, to make plays on the run. Um, we, we touched on the anticipation I think he's going to need time to adjust to NFL athletes and it's going to take a while because yes, he is great at throwing guys open. He's not going to be able to do that with his arm at the NFL level against NFL athletes. They're going to close windows. And I think as a result, early in his career, he could well get gun shy because he's going to see passes get picked that he wasn't used to seeing get picked. And then he's going to hold onto the ball even further and it's going to become a self-fulfilling cycle. So um, there's a few things like that which concern me about how he's going to translate. He has an annoying habit of patting the ball as well in terms of when he's going to release it, which a few guys do in this class. Sam Howe's another one. Drives me mad. Um, but yeah, there's just, there are a number of concerns. And I think just in terms of final thoughts, when we, when we talk about QB prospect, when we talk about any prospect, we always talk about traits. And I think it's really not true at any position than the QB position of what traits are going to translate to the NFL, given the importance of that position. For me, he lacks really any elite traits to succeed at the position long term. Um, he's nicely rounded, but I don't see anything that's going to make him a standout starter. Um, as a result, like I say, I don't think he's going to be someone who walks in and takes, takes a job and starts. However, because of because of his success, because of his smarts, which do come across in terms of how he reads coverages, some of that anticipatory stuff as well, he could be a solid backup. I think he's a guy that you would want to have in your QB room. I just don't think he's going to be someone who's going to be pushing for starts. Ryan, have you seen anything from, from Bailey? Yeah, I mean, the numbers jump off the page, right? And I think Tom highlighted that at the top. You know, when you talk about 62 touchdowns and all the yards he threw for, um, you know, last season, it, it, it's something to that, that kind of blows your mind. And then, and then you have to start thinking about like, okay, he played in like a shotgun only pass heavy offense. That's like all predicated on empty sets and wide receiver screens. And he has light boxes and he, he's just a quarterback who, you know, Tom really hit on it. I mean, I think he did a phenomenal job kind of uh, painting the picture of who Bailey Zappi is. I think he's the kind of guy who, you don't mind coming in to salvage a football game. Like he is very much like Case Keenum. He is very much like, um, I, I saw another comparison, like Nick Mullins. Like this is a guy who maybe you can talk yourself into, like I, I think the Houston Texans are going to find out that they have this with Davis Mills. Like this is a guy who like, he can belong in your quarterback room, but he's certainly not going to be the kind of guy who you're going to like win football games because of, you know, I, I think the arm strength is a, is a question mark for sure. Um, I think he has incredible touch on his throws, but I, I think he's a guy who he can be a part of your room and, and you're not worse for it. And Steve. 
Um, yeah, I agree there. It's he's a product of the system he played in there. When you play an air raid, when you've got receivers who are wide open all the time, not taking anything away from it, but it's a lot easier than what you're going to get at the NFL level. You're going to make it in a lot more contested throws. You're going to be under a lot more pressure. The CUSA is a weak conference. The level of opposition is not the highest, although, you know, that's the same with some of these guys that you can only beat who is in front of you. But, you know, these will be things you would take into account at the next level. Can he, can he adapt to the way the NFL plays? Because the NFL doesn't play like Western Kentucky do at all. So he's going to have to learn all new schemes, learn how, you know, he's going to have to adapt to it, adapt his throw and adapt everything to his game, really, for the next level. So it's just, you know, can, can you trust him to do so? I mean, he deserves a chance because he's had hell of a year and you would expect he might be able to, but there's a lot to adjust before you're going to get a starter out of him. I, I mean, first of all, I just want to you know, get through this piece without having to say developmental again. Um, you nailed I think, it. Um, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> for, for me, this goes back to the conversation that I think that Ryan was brought up around David Blau and Tim Boyle. So for me, in terms of the QB room, Tim Boyle is not someone who is going to get on the field unless Goff goes down. And when Boyle does come on the field, I just have zero confidence. And unless we're already like 14 points up in the game, I've got zero confidence that Boyle's the guy that's going to get the win. And I guess the question is, someone like Bailey Zapp is is that the guy if if you've got nothing to lose if the gate if you're not going to win the game anyway is this when you would put him in rather than Boyle or or say Blau and it seems like with you know with, with someone like Zapp that that could be the case because like I said you've got nothing to lose you're just developing a guy and you're giving him experience and you know you're swinging and you might you might you know you might hit a home run with them um, particularly. In a, in a late round. So I guess that's the argument for, for taking a risk on, on this kind of guy. And Ash is just saying he's he's worried that you've got no Davis Mills clap back to, to Ryan, so... <laughs> oh, no, no, it's all right. That's fine. I, I'm just going to leave it as this. I, I, I highlighted Davis Mills as the guy last year and, and you know, he's come in and done really well. I was, I was right. So <laughs> I think he could be an NFL starter. I... I you know, from, from his pro day and everything, you could just see the traits of a good NFL quarterback there. And obviously he's been thrown in in the deep end, but he's done well on an incredibly bad Houston team. If they're able to protect him a little more, give him give him more of a shot there, then I think he's got all the potential that I thought he was capable of there. But, you know, you get lucky with these. For every one that you say is going to be good, there's 50 who I can think of who are just right, right now. They're absolutely right. terrible now. So we, we like to live with our ones that we think we got a little right. But he's got a, he's still got a lot to prove. He, I'm, I'm not going I'm not going to wave the flag on him yet and go, yeah, I was right. He's great. But <laughs> I'm just glad that he got the opportunity. And I'm glad that hopefully they're going to roll with him and give him an opportunity there because he's very gifted at Stanford. He had a good off season last year, did well, and you know he's he's got a good chance. That's all you can ask for with him. Mm. And and then they got him later on, so the the guys are there to be found if you look hard enough. Ash is now saying something about some Florida State quarterback who's irrelevant, so I won't even give it the time of day. But we'll yeah, move on. He wouldn't be top fifteen in this draft. So no, we can't talk about whoever that guy is. Um, but we will move on and to your your second guy, a guy from a college who hasn't had an NFL 
player drafted since 2010, I found out in my research this morning. EJ Perry from Brown. What have you seen from him? Yeah, so the, the theory of the theory of what I've had with the guys that I've picked is, is I'm looking developmental on day three picks, UDFAs, but guys who potentially have a lot of upside to them. And EJ Perry's a name that really is it came out of left field for me. I only first heard of him by him when the East West Shrine Ball came around, but um, I'll get to that in a second. So, yeah, he's quarterback of the Brown Bears, or was. He was there for three years. They play in the Ivy League. Again, FCS team there. Standard of competition, maybe not the highest in the world, but he was on an incredibly bad side. They had not been good at all outside of him. He's 6'2", 210 pounds. So, again, decent frame for the game not on the short side, a lot to work with there. Over his career, he's had two years altogether because the Ivy League didn't play in 2020. They lost a year to it. Um, he's 545 of 861 passes. It's a 63.3% completion rate, 5,972 passing yards, 45 touchdowns, 27 interceptions, 1,029 rushing yards, 15 rushing touchdowns. He's also got a receiving touchdown as well. He's done a little bit of everything. He was a transfer out of Boston College. He's trying to get the starting job there, but he got beaten out. So fair play to him. He went in the portal. He went elsewhere. His uncle actually became head coach of Brown. So he went there, got his opportunity, and he took it. But like Akil Glass, he's coming from a system that doesn't have a lot of history when it comes to the draft and you know, the odds are stacked against him. There's only one Ivy League quarterback that's been drafted since 1984. We all know him because he's got the best beard in the NFL and he's one of the most beloved journeyman quarterbacks of all time and has ended up having a pretty decent career. And we know him because he's from Harvard. Obviously, Ryan Fitzpatrick shares my last name. So going to love him <laughs> for that one. Like you said, he's going to be the first player drafted there in a long time because I think he is at quarterback-wise. They've only ever had one quarterback drafted. That was like in the 70s. He never threw a pass in the NFL, so he will be the first Brown quarterback to throw a pass in the NFL if he does so. But like I say, he's, he's come right out of the left field. No one was really talking about him that long ago, but it's because he's had such a stellar postseason run because he's come from somewhere, again, that does not get a lot of attention. So he's had to take his chance in the offseason and really has done. It started with the East-West Shrine Bowl, which is one of the all-star games after the season's gone. He got an MVP performance in that game there. He threw 13 of 18 for 241 yards, three touchdowns. He then followed it up with one of the best combines there. Tom, you wanted athleticism. He was the most athletically gifted quarterback at this combine, he had a 685-3 cone, a 418-20 yard shuttle that led all QBs at the combine. He had a 465 and the 40, second only to Desmond Ridder. He had a 34 and a half vertical jump, a 10 foot three broad jump. That was second best among all the QBs there. Put simply, he had the best athletic profile of any quarterback coming out of the combine. And then he tapped it off with his pro day, which he did when he went to Holy Cross. I believe he did it with them. Um, where was he? Uh, do, 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 do. So, yeah, 47 of 49 passes he threw at his pro day. So only two that were wrong. Showcased every form of pass that you could get there and, and looked really good. And his draft stock has just been rising and rising and rising. So as for the player, like I say, his game is predicated 
on his athleticism. He is a legitimate dual threat quarterback. As you can see, he's into four figures for rushing yards in just two years. So you can scheme him as a runner. It opens up your playbook and just gives you that offense an extra dimension when your guy is able to do that. Like Akil Glass, the pocket awareness is a really big strength of his. He's got a real good feel for pressure. And unlike Glass, He's also got the athletic capabilities to escape a collapsing pocket, to extend the plays, to rescue busted plays there. That's something that Akil can't do, and it is something that he is able to do. He's also able to exploit the gaps, get positive gains in there. But don't worry. With a lot of these guys, when they are dual threat, a lot of them will be one read guys. They'll take one look at the read. They'll try and escape out the pocket. He doesn't do this. You will see him go through the full range of progressions at his, you know, at his disposal before he does decide to abandon the pocket. That's really critical going forward to the next level. He doesn't panic, looks through his reads, then decides what's best for him there. Obviously, you see a few examples of it, but it is really the exception to the norm, as we would say. When it comes to the passing, it's throwing with touch where he really excels. When he gets it right, he makes some absolutely beautiful passes. It's almost Aaron Rodgers-esque with sort of the weight and the placement of the ball he's able to put when he gets it right. I'm not saying he is, but it's to that degree. There's plenty of times where you can see him sail it just over a defensive back, right into the arms of the receiver. It really is a great thing to watch when he's on form. But the thing the NFL is going to love most about him, what coaches and maybe a guy like Dan Campbell is going to love about him, he is a 110% effort, 100% of plays guy. This guy has a motor which never stops. Even if the game is gone, he plays like the game is on the line. You'll see him chase defenders down the field 30, 40 yards if the ball's turned over. When he's in the running game, he'll fight for extra yardage. I know that can be sort of a two-way thing where he might get injured, but you really want to see that effort and application for him there. And, and he leads the team by example. Whatever he can do to help on there he will do it. And it's the sort of leadership that you're looking for when it comes to a quarterback going forward, especially if you're looking at a developmental guy, you want to see those traits there. But the one thing that really will stand out from as well, the competitive toughness that he has, it gives him a special team's upside. So unlike a Glass, if you're going to bring him in and you're going to develop him, there's a place for him on special teams, the mentality, the speed he plays at, what he does, he's going to be able to help you there while you develop him. And that's, you know, what all players coming into the team, all your late round developmental picks need to be able to do. And it's especially a good thing for a quarterback to be able to do that. You can, I hate to use them, but he's got like that Taysom Hill versatility about him where you can use him as a runner. He can come in and play a quarterback and you can use him on special teams. You can sort of Swiss army knife him a little bit while you're teaching him the ropes there. And obviously he said a lot of good things, there's bad things with all prospects there are. And there are a lot, of things to work on with this guy turnovers is it's really bad he's had 22 interceptions in 16 career games only two turnover free games in his career obviously not all of them are on him but when you see some of them there are enough where you go in the throws are like oh my god what was that to concern you obviously the decision making is there he likes to go after those like low percentage throws when he maybe should be thinking a little bit differently about it. It is a mentality thing, but people have worked their way back from that before. It is something that can be developed and worked on. He's just got to get a little smarter when it comes to the throwing. And of course, he's going to be working 
with receivers who are a hell of a lot better at the next level than what he's had available to him at Brown. He does have some of the similar lower body issues, the mechanics issues as well, like a keel glass. They're not as bad, but worthy of that again they need working on and that's what a lot of these late round developmental quarterbacks that is a problem with a lot of them it is the mechanics the throwing mechanics you have to work on a little bit but again it's nothing that's not salvageable for a guy who you're taking on and you're developing long term um obviously you've got other things like the level of competition in the ivy league but said for a lot of quarterbacks you can only face who's put in front of you and for the most part he's done quite well there for a school that traditionally does not really do well and then people will also question his arm strength now I just want to push back on this a little bit and say Brown don't play a system where they throw the ball deep a lot so it's a case of they don't ask him to do it it's not that he can't do it and if you've seen him in the postseason in the practices he's been doing he's shown that he can throw the ball downfield pretty accurately but obviously he still has to prove this in a game day situation so it's you kind of have to file it under those one of those things you've got to watch but it's a bit harsh to call it a problem for him at this point in time so you know having said that overall you take everything into account he's another prospect I like particularly because of the work ethic and like I say he wants to do anything he can to help the team any way he'll be able to get on the team he will do it if you develop him right, you get a guy who is going to be a multi-purpose weapon there. You get a special teamer straight off to be able to do work there with him because that's the way you work your way. And I know Dan Campbell likes his guys to come in and earn their stripes through their special teams and before moving them into the team themselves. Like The comp I made for him out of this is Taylor Heineke because Taylor Heineke came from Old Dominion, another school, small school guy. He was a punter there as well as the quarterback. He sort of made his thing in special teams he does the quarterback things he works incredibly hard to get where he wants to and if you can have a similar sort of career trajectory to him which I think is perfectly possible with a seventh round pick a UDFA pick that's pretty good value for what you're getting so again this is a prospect I like I see the base traits it just needs development but I think it's worth taking a gamble on if you're back there have you guys seen anything of EJ Perry as well Absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Anthony said that this is like a 110% effort guy. I mean, I think Dan Campbell's base is 200%. So I'm not sure he's going to fly with the, with the Lions. Um, I, I mean, like, yeah, the, the Heineke, the thing is with these kind of guys, you look at Heineke, he comes in and like, you know, he really flashes for a couple of games and, make some throws and I think he you know, won a couple of games but then you know the defensive coordinators go to work and they just absolutely brutally like unpick all the flaws in their game and then you see Heineke get absolutely crushed as the season goes on and like these guys have got more tape on him um, but I mean it, 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 it sounds like an interesting guy I I actually knew about the Ryan Fitzpatrick thing because I read that book called Quarterback by John Feinstein and there's like a whole chapter on Fitz Magic, who is like absolutely a crazy guy. Um, he's got an economics degree from Harvard and he's also got seven children. So he's uh, prolific in many ways. <laughs> um, just on EJ Perry, uh, did a little bit before we came on on him. And I think the thing which distinguishes him from pretty much everyone outside the top six for me is when you're looking at quarterbacks, especially backup quarterbacks, you would like 
a way for that guy to win. Much as you kind of want at the elite level, you want something that they do really, really well, even if they're deficient in other areas. And Perry has that in terms of athleticism. So I'm going to throw out, you know, the decision making, the kind of putting the ball in a harm's way, because maybe I'm just going to ask him to do that. But if if he comes in in relief as a as a backup quarterback and you are scheming together like a zone read design quarterback run type scheme, I think that he can run that offense and actually provide a quite high floor. So in terms of everyone below, say whoever your quarterback six is, I think a lot of people have strong at quarterback six, but it can be Corral or whoever. Below that, someone you're trying to take as a quarterback two. I really like this guy because I can actually see a way I can win an NFL game. So I love it. You can fix the rest later, but I want to take this guy in the seventh if he's there because I think he actually gives us something that we don't currently have. Anyone else? Yeah, unfortunately, he's not going to be there because we've solved it. We now know why the Saints are moving up. They're getting Taysom Hill 2.0. He's going in the top five. Now you know uh, damn well what I meant with that comparison, Tom. <laughs> you know damn well. All right. We'll move this on to the next one, and we're getting into some of the higher drafted picks now. So Carson Strong of Nevada is one of mine, and this is someone who's dividing a lot of opinion, I think, in this draft, because his stock has fallen a long way because he has a degenerative knee problem that's been a problem for him all the way through high school, all the way through his college career, and people are just worried about whether he's actually going to be on the field at the next level. But let's have a look into him as a player and then make our own decision about whether the injury history is a problem. But Carson Strong, quarterback from Nevada, played number 12. He's redshirt junior, 22 years old. He's going to turn 23 just at the start of the season. Doesn't have a RAS score because he wasn't able to perform. But he's six, just over 6'3", 226 pounds. He's played 32 games at Nevada. 852 of 1,251, that's 68% completion rate, 9,368 yards, 7.5 yards per average completion, 74 touchdowns to 19 interceptions. Uh, Accuracy is very, very, very good on his short to medium routes. He can make all the NFL throws that you'd like to see at that sort of level, so I'm talking maybe 20 yards down the field. He's proficient as you like. When it comes to deep ball, he has got the potentially the best arm strength of any quarterback in this class. So you want him to throw it 70 yards down the field. He does it without looking like he's breaking sweat. This guy can throw the ball a long way. But his accuracy, when he gets that sort that far deep, it, it's a bit iffy. And, you know, if you're throwing 70 yards, maybe you should be a bit iffy, because that's a long bloody way. But... You know, when you want to take a quarterback high, you you maybe want to see a little bit better accuracy in his deep balls. But because he's got that in his arsenal, and because it's so it seems so easy for him, they asked him to do it a lot, and that means that when you have a look at his highlights, if that's all you've seen, a lot of them will be deep balls, go balls, posts, where he is just able to put it on the money for a touchdown from his own thirty or forty. Like he's he's exceptional at doing that. It's just you know, every now and again, he he does overcook those sort of throws. Decision-making, he makes his decisions really quickly, and he doesn't often put the ball in harm's way. There's a couple of instances on tape where he's throwing his double and triple coverage, 
but no more so than any of these college quarterbacks. And, you know, I think I'm talking not just about this class, but I don't think this decision making is any worse than some of the elite talents that have been there in recent years. In terms of progressions, he's able to get through them. Uh, he really does get off his first and second reads really, really well. And he's able to make those decisions very, very quickly. When he sees something he likes, though, he locks on and holds on to the ball maybe a little bit too much. And so when he sees a guy win off the snap, he'll almost give the secondary a chance to make a play. It, it's really bizarre. But when you see a guy get a step, I kind of worry that Carson Strong's going to put the ball in harm's way more than he should. So that's something that's very, very coachable. I don't think that's anything that's going to be a problem long term. In terms of his release, it's an odd throwing motion. And maybe that helps him with his depth of throw. But it's he tends to get over the ball, like a lot. Like he's trying really, really hard to get the tight spiral more than some of these guys. Um it's, it's just something that I don't think is particularly consistent. I do think it means that his release takes a little bit more time than some of these guys. And when you come onto his mobility, all you hear about Carson Strong is that this guy is a statue. He cannot move in the pocket. So when his release is a little bit slower, that's worrying. I, I don't like that. I think he needs to work on maybe changing his release point so that he can throw it a bit quicker. Because... It is true, he's not the most mobile guy in the world. Having said that, when I looked at his mobility in the pocket, he's able to manipulate it quite well. I kind of saw a little bit of like college Tom Brady to him in terms of like, okay, fine, you don't want him to run four steps. But if you're asking him to take a step to the right to buy him a second, he can do that. So I don't think it's a massive issue at the NFL level because he can do just about enough as long as everything else is there. And yet, in a couple of games that I've seen, so I watched Kansas State and Idaho State from 2021, there are multiple instances of him rushing for 10, 15 yards down the field when the defense give that to him, which is really weird for someone who's very, very slow. Like, if the guy ran in the 40, I think it might be like a 5.4. Like, he's so slow. But if the defense give it to him, he does it. And he slides... And, you know, it's very efficient. So he's slow, but he's not shy. And I quite like that about him. He's uh, the leader of that offense. It goes out five wide as their base offense. And sometimes you'll see them with, with four wide receivers and a running back. But more often than not, five wide receivers kind of quickly identifying pre-snap what he's going to do. And he throws that. So it's a sort of bit air raidy. And, you know, he his team was one of the better in that division. So... You know, that really helped him in offense, but he's intelligent. Even when he's in that sort of offense, There, was, he is the guy calling out the protections. He's identifying the mic. He's adjusting things based on pre-snap reads. So even with the limitations of it not being massively a pro-ready offense, I saw things that are going to translate. So for me, this is a guy without the injury history that I would be putting right up there in his quarterback class. I'd, I'd have him in my top two, probably, and maybe not two. Um, I really, really liked what he did. But with the knee injury and and the problems that he's had, I do not know whether he will have an NFL career. 
Like, I, I really worry that he'll take a few hits, and that'll be him done. And so, for me, that's that's taking him out of first round consideration fairly comfortably. I, I know there was a there was a draft actually, um, mock draft from someone prominent that had him coming to the lines at thirty two, and like, oh, okay, really? I mean, it's a risk that we could take, and the upside is huge. But get it wrong, you've burnt the pick in a really, really bad way. So he's often mocked in the third. I think that's fair to take a flyer on someone who's got these traits but has a massive downside. Uh, that That's Carson Strong for me, boys. Have you guys seen anything of him? I know, Ant, you've seen a lot of, of Nevada. Uh, you, you especially like Romeo Dubs, I know, the wide receiver. So what, what have you seen from, from Strong? You know, I really like Carson Strong. I just need to put an asterisk on a lot of this. Carson Strong should not have played football last year. His doctor told him not to play. His dad told him not to play. He needed his knee to heal up, and he made the decision to go back for his teammates and play football. And as a result, the offense had to adjust to his injury. So a lot of the problems that you're seeing, his footwork, his planting when he's going for the long throws, that are a... These are a direct result of him playing injured and are not necessarily a representation of Carson Strong, the quarterback, when he's fully healthy. Now, I'll make no bones about this. If you draft him, you're redshirting him. You have to redshirt him. He's had the operation on his knees. He just needs to let it heal. So you you take him and you sit him a year. And then in 12 months, when his knee is fully healed, you will get the real Carson Strong who's coming out, the guy who has a gun of an arm, the guy who, yeah, he's not the most mobile in the world, but he is good at feeling out pressure in the pocket. He can look after himself. He can take a hit and still throw the ball. So, you know, I, I don't disagree with a lot of Matt said that there are issues in there, but a lot of it has been caused by his injury. But you have to take that mentality into account. He went back for his teammates. He didn't quit on them. He didn't take the time off there. He went back, he played, he found a way to play, and they still had a pretty decent season, all things considered. So, you know, I'm still high on him. If he's there in round three, I know I said I don't really want a quarterback, and I've said I'd have all these guys so far, but in a world, if you take him with the comp pick there, I'm, I'm not going to complain, but you, you are sitting him, and you're going to wait 12 months until you start to see returns on him there um there's a really good film breakdown on youtube um matt waldman who does it the rsp room they're really good with their quarterback breakdowns i recommend you go and watch that and you'll see a lot of the good and the bad that he does but i think it might change the opinion on him there a little but he played her when he shouldn't have played so you have to take it with a grain of salt some of the bad from this year for me personally i think carson strong cannot even be on your draft board I, 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 I love a lot of the things you guys are saying. He has an incredible arm. The, the, the arm talent is there. But for a guy who he had eight biodegradable nails inserted arthroscopically, and he missed his senior season in high school. From there, he had a second surgery where a piece of his hip bone was inserted into his knee. Like, I mean, this is a guy who, like, he has a degenerative knee issue. And I just don't think that, you can really invest anything in him beyond being a maybe sixth or seventh round pick because I, I don't know. Like, I just feel like you, you can't really have him on your draft board. It, it's, it's terrible. It's a, it's, you know, it's a really sad situation where, you know, 
he clearly wants to play football and he's clearly a talented quarterback uh, in terms of his, his arm and um, you know, some of the other intangibles, but um, you know, that knee, that knee problem really just, it, it, it makes him almost undraftable. It ain't going away. Tom, Steve, any comments? Yeah, I, I would agree completely. I, I mean, I think if you're going to take a, a risk on a player with injury in the draft, you might take a risk on someone like Derek Stingley or someone like that, but not Carson Strong. Given how our picks line up as well, like I, I would be, I'd be disappointed if we took him with one of those top 100 picks, especially given the other talent around at those times. If we ended up taking him at 177, which I think is then our, our first pick in the fifth or whatever it is, but I'm probably okay with that. But yeah, it just, I can't justify using a top 100 pick on a guy with issues who, like you say, he may never see the field. And if you want one of these guys to be in your room, you're hoping they're going to be there kind of 10 years or so, right? So yeah, it, for me, it would have to be a late round flyer. There's talent there. He can rip it. He, he was actually a bit disappointing again at the senior bowl. I thought playing in shorts, I thought he was going to really be able to showcase um, some of those physical gifts, what he can do with the ball, it didn't necessarily come through. But um, but yeah, uh, it just has to be late if, if he ends up going. It wouldn't surprise me if he was UDFA. All right, we're going on to the home stretch now. The final five, we're starting with Ant's final guy, Caleb Ellaby out of Western Michigan. Yeah, so the home the homegrown guy out of the three. Um, so yeah, he's been the quarterback at Western Michigan for three years now. Uh, they play in the MAC in the FBS. So just wanted to say as well that you can't speak ill of him because Laura Schlitt might have a go at you. Just wanted to put that out. Hang there. on, I've I've been very nice about Caleb. I specifically <laughs> requested Caleb Ellaby because I like him. So I'm not going to say anything bad about him. All as I was saying. He plays in the Mid-American Conference with uh, Western Michigan, so they're in the FBS. So out of all the guys I've done so far, he plays at the highest level of all three. He's 6'1", 210 pounds, so the least statured out of the lot of them there. His career, he's thrown 420 passes out of 661. It's a 63.5% completion rating. Um, 6,068 passing yards, 45 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He's also got 13 rushing touchdowns, but don't let that fool you. His average rush is 0.5 yards per carry. He's like CMC in the final five yards, but outside of that, he's like the Detroit version of LeGarrette Blunt, as in he can't run fish. Um, yeah, <laughs> if you get what I mean. Um, so, yeah, he's the unorthodox quarterback out of these ones for me. So, relatively speaking, he is undersized. He does not have the strongest arm of the quarterbacks in this class. And again, while he is playing in the MAC, it's not the highest level of competition in the world. He could be at a high level playing against some better defenses there. However, what does work in his favor is Western Michigan run a pro offense, sort of the offense that the NFL is moving towards now. So you've got the mesh point reads, you've got the RPOs, the moving pockets, all that sort of stuff. He is very versed in how to play this system and it's what a lot of teams are moving towards now. So his adjustment time to the league will be a lot quicker than the guys that I've been talking about before and some of the other guys who you've been mentioning as well. So in terms of him as a player, the leadership abilities with him are very clear. He's been a multi-year starter there now, and he's led 
West Michigan to some really impressive victories in his time there. He's been clutch on some comeback drives. They took down Pittsburgh this year, which was a really big result for them. Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh, that was a big result. He was able to lead them to that. So he's got the leadership intangibles in there. Um, as said, he's not the most mobile quarterback in this draft. He does possess the short, short area speed, though, to be able to get himself out of trouble when he is in the pocket. So it does kind of negate the lack of mobility a little bit there. He's not one who's just getting stuck in, stuck in treacle and getting taken down very easy. He can't look after himself when the pocket collapses. And again, if the spaces open up, he is able to take advantage of that. And as I say, if you get him within the 10-yard line, he's very dangerous when it comes to forcing the ball into the end zone. Mechanically, Everything is really pretty much sound with him. Like I say, he works in a pro-style offense, so he is designed to play at the next level. So a lot of the mechanics are already in place there. You see the progression reads. They're very good with him. They're top-notch, in fact, to be fair with him. Again, with the scheme they run, they have to be. A lot of RPOs in there. You've got to be very, very good with your scanning of the field to see what's going on there, depending on what you're going to do. One of his biggest things is, though, he's a great protector of the ball. As I say, it's four touchdowns to every one interception that he throws. It's not very often they do it. The throws, you can see, they're always calculated. He doesn't go for the high-risk, low-reward ones, a la an EJ Perry, who's got a lot of interceptions there with him. You don't see the crazy throws into double coverage again. He looks at it. He judges it on his merits, and he will not give the ball away easy. He's only had two games in his career when he's had multi-pick games. So overall... He's incredibly good at looking after the ball, passing-wise. Deep, again, not, not the greatest thing in the world that you're going to see when it comes to the arm strength there, but he can get it to the boundary. He's got lovely touch on some of his throws out towards the boundary, but he really excels with the spot throws down the middle of the pitch. Again, a lot of that RPO stuff, he's very well-versed in it and very good at it at this point in time. So again, there is a lot to like about him here. Now, obviously, you have to... Mix that up with the bad as well. So, obviously, the level of competition is one. Again, going to be coming up against a lot stiffer opposition than what he has been used to in college. And you have to take the intangibles in. The size is a problem. The arm strength is a problem. The size, with the way he releases the ball, there's a lot of risk that some of his passes are going to get battered down, especially amongst the bigger defensive ends and the defensive tackles. There are issues with this in college, and that's going to follow him through into the NFL. The accuracy under pressure is a big issue. There are a lot of examples where you see him getting pressured. He will launch a ball downfield. The trouble is he will airmail it. He's putting that little bit extra on because he's panicking and wondering whether he can get it there or not. And that finesse, which he really has, just sort of goes out the window there. So that's an issue for him that he's going to have to get better at. Also can't, also can't really throw off platform either. You're getting rolling out the pocket, trying to throw him off, etc. That's not really his thing either. And again, the lack of mobility, whilst it's not a problem, him getting sacked and that, it will be an issue when you're trying to salvage busted plays. If you're trying to extend plays a little bit, it's not going to be his forte to be able to do that. But again, this is a guy who understands the pro system. He does have the intangibles to work with to create a successful quarterback there. I think the only thing that works against him is maybe you're spending a higher pick on him at this point. Teams will like that he's played in the pro-style offense and they will like what he brings to the table. So maybe the value is not going to be there. But in terms of a homegrown option for us at quarterback, he's a decent option to come in 
and be able to put pressure on guys as we go forward. But out of the three, he's probably the one I might least go for. But I think he's going to have a successful career if he lands in the right system. So, yeah, that is Caleb Ellaby. The rest of you guys seen anything from Caleb? I know he's one of the guys that's kind of like the top out of those next set of course backs after the top six. You know, surprisingly enough, you know, even being here in Michigan, uh, I, I didn't get a, an opportunity to catch a lot of Western Michigan games, but um, seems like a like a UDFA. You know, just seems like somebody who at least has um, some of the moldable talent that um, you know could end up being a you know uh, a productive um, a productive member of a quarterback room, like you know. Not necessarily somebody who's going to be starting on Sundays, but somebody who can, you know, hang out in your room. I mean, I think the thing for me about Ellaby is that watching him play, I'm really impressed, but I just don't think he translates. So, and you said he can't throw off platform, and yet he's 6'1", and his release point is a bit lower, so... If he can't, if he can't throw outside a structure, he's a pocket passer, mainly and he's smaller, and his release point is lower, I think he's going to really, really struggle at the next level. I just don't think he translates to all serve, and I think he's going to get drafted, and I think someone's going to be disappointed by him. So I, I think when I watched him, I thought I saw something that like I wanted to see from Bailey Zappi. I prefer Elevi over Zappi, because he, he really does have the ability, like you say, to make throws you want to see out of someone. But physically, I worry about him. The way he does things. Maybe it's coachable. Maybe you can get that release point higher. Maybe you can get him better on off-platform stuff. But this feels to me like a longer long shot than some of these guys who are a bit more physically gifted. Alright, let's move it on, shall we? To our fourth to last. Matt Corral from Ole Miss. Steve, you're first. Okay, so um, Matt Corral, um QB for Ole Miss. Um, he's six foot two. Um, I've seen his weight vary between 205 and 212 in terms of how it's been reported. Um, this guy, he, he didn't um, perform at the combine. He had a high ankle sprain. Um, I think he, he picked up in his bowl game. Um, but he is a guy who's known to be quick on his feet. Um, so in, in terms of the sort of positives around Corral, I mean, you know, he, he's, he's a really good athlete um, and he, he can certainly get to the edge on design runs. Um, probably like his biggest thing is like his quick release throw. I mean, just from watching a bit of tape, it, it really is a lovely thing of beauty just to behold the way he absolutely flings it out. Like the ball comes out of his hand at such velocity He's kind of almost got a slightly like funky Phil Rivers type baseball thing that he does. Um, but the ball absolutely comes flying out. And he's also really good at throwing on the run as well. But definitely like a, a quick twitch player. Um, I would say above average accuracy at the kind of short to intermediate level. Um, can occasionally be off with the, the, the long ball. Um, but, you know, he does have a big arm. Um, he can sidearm it as well. Um, at his pro day, he was sort of consistently throwing like 55 to 60 yard balls. I think it was the game against Alabama where he was kind of totally 
off balance and he threw a 60 yard pass. Um, so, you know, he, the, the, the arm strength is definitely there. Um, and he's a really tough and competitive guy. Absolutely not bothered about taking a hit despite his build. Um, and, but, you know, in, in terms of that build, it, it, he is below average in terms of sort of height, bulk, um, muscle mass for the NFL. And that's kind of going to make him susceptible to injury. And we, we've seen that in, in this season. Um, I would say the other thing, which is a, a really big thing for me, is just the, the offense that he's been running. Like they've been playing 60% RPO um, at Ole Miss. And I'm just not sure how translatable his form and what we've seen from him would be at an NFL level. I mean, he's absolutely, you know, given it, you know, one read and then he's tucking and running all the time. Um, and in terms of a proper NFL offense where you've got the kind of drop back concepts, I'm, I just think that's a big question mark in terms of how he's performed at college and what that looks like um, in the NFL. Um He's a bit inconsistent in terms of his timing. Um, but, you know, I, I think he's someone that's got so much upside. I mean, he's really caught the eye of a lot of um, the NFL scouts. Um, I've seen him around the five or six mark. But, you know, I mean, Chris Sims was absolutely raving about him and, and had him as his number one QB in the, in the draft um, just the other day. Um, Sims was, you know, Sims is a polarizing character. We've discussed him before, but he, you know, he certainly seems to know his QBs. And he was really, really um, positive that Corral has got, um, you know, the kind of abilities that puts him ahead of anyone else. Admittedly, in a in a slightly weaker class. So um, yeah, I mean, through sixty seven point nine percent accuracy, twenty TDs, and five interceptions last season. Um, I think he's going to go first round. I think someone's going to fall in love with him. Um, I don't think it will be the Lions. Um, but yeah, I, I, for me, there's a lot of question marks in terms of how how ready he is in terms of you know the the offense he's been playing and and could he cope in the NFL? I mean, I know that Chris on on yesterday's uh, POD was saying that Bucky Brooks said he was one of only two guys with a first round grade on him. Tom. Have you seen much of of him? What do you reckon? Yeah, so I'm, I think, similar to you, I'm low on this class overall, but Corral is actually the guy that I probably have in the top two. Um, I like him a lot. I like the improvement I saw from 2020 to 2021. Um, there were a lot of questions around accuracy, decision-making, and he took positive strides. He's by no means perfect in it, but... It's that kind of development, which I think is impressive. Like his throwing motion, we talked a lot about mechanics today, but he generates a lot of, of power out of that motion. Um, the guy's just a gamer. I, I like, I don't like that phrase, actually. I don't know why I said it, but he is. He's one of those guys that you kind of want to, to, to go to battle for. Um, I worry about the progressions, which you touched on there, Steve, in terms of how he's going to adapt to an NFL offense. My biggest concern with him is frame and durability. Uh, so you mentioned earlier around the, the kind of lazy comparison of Sam Howell as Baker Mayfield. I actually see it more with someone like Corral in terms of how he uses his body and, and he's more mobile than Mayfield, but Mayfield was kind of 15 pounds heavier than he is. And you've seen how beaten up he's got being in Cleveland behind one of the best lines in the league. And my concern with Corral is 
by wanting to show that he's tough, he's physical, be a leader of men um, on the field, that he's going to struggle to stay on it. You can see his teammates love him. You can see like he's absolutely loved by his team and it's almost like he's too brave. For someone, you know, he's kind of got that like kind of mighty mouse thing where for someone of his frame, you sometimes he tucks and runs and you, you you can kind of see the hit coming and you're wincing before it, it, it's even got to him. So, I mean, I learned a lot about Matt Corral through our Ryan this year. He was high on him when he came, when we started the college podcast last year. Um, and I've watched him very closely this year as a result of it. And, you know, the one thing you want to see with the college players, you want to see them develop and get better. And he's done that no end this season. I mean, for one, I love how, you know, he only runs if he has to. This is a guy, he's got a lot of rushing yards behind him and he is a good runner when you want him to be, but he always looks for the pass first and he only starts rushing out the pocket if he can't get it out of his hands. I like that trait about him. And, you know, I like how he doesn't try to give the ball away. You know, the ball security was the big issue. Last year, he had some horrendous games. He gave up what was it, six picks against LSU in one game. He threw five picks against Arkansas in another game. He threw a couple of picks against Auburn. That was Ryan's big thing on him. He needed to eliminate the turnovers this year. There were about 15 or 16 of them. He only threw five this year. They played LSU again. They played Alabama. They played Texas A&M. Some top-level guys he's coming up against on defense, and the ball security was solid. So he's obviously learned his lesson from that. He's a lot more careful with the ball. He's built tough in the mold of Sam Howell. You know, he's got a lot of likable traits to him there and he's done really well. And he's just suffered because he got an injured in the bowl game. That's why all the players drop out the bowl games because it doesn't really give much to them, but he wanted to do it for his team. He wanted to help them win. And, you know, it just speaks out to the kind of player it is. And it's really unfortunate that he's lost all this time because of that. But, you know, he's developed a lot this year. He really has, and he's only going to keep developing and getting better. So who knows where his potential ceiling is if coached in the right system? Yeah, I I, I was a bit higher on Corral. Um, I think at uh, at different points in in this season um, than than I was in the preseason, but. I think watching him over the course of this season, I did see somebody who like Tom said, um, and he hates, hates to use this phrase. I don't mind using it, but like, he's a guy who is a gamer. Like he, he really wants to, he really wants to play for his team. And, you know, as, as Anthony just mentioned, you know, he's a guy who was willing to play in his bowl game because, you know, he was playing for his team. And I, I think as a prospect though, I, I'm not sure how much more to his game there is to be to be found. Like I, I'm, I'm not sure how much how much more ceiling there is to his game, um, like a discernible uh, you know ceiling to his game. Like yeah, he can improve for sure. He can, you know, he can um, become quicker with his reads and, and through his progressions. And um, you know, so, somebody had mentioned, you know, Matt Waldman and, and the great work that they do on their quarterback um, <clears throat> film breakdowns, you know, they did a great one on, on Matt Corral. And I think one of the things that they pointed out is yes, when scouting an RPO quarterback, you have to find the opportunities that he wasn't operating in that system. And how did he react and how did he go through his progressions and, and what kind of plays did he make? And, 
corral it's it's, it's hit or miss right like there's some good there's some bad and you know it's, it's going to be up to a coaching staff to see if they can just get the most out of him it's just i'm not sure how much the most is um if that makes sense just to round this off i don't like corral i i really don't um in him i see someone who i think is really 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 overrated like he does what he does well but I don't think he translates to the NFL. Much like kind of with some of the guys that I said earlier, I think his frame is an issue. I think that, you know, if, if Philadelphia can be revived from 2017, he's a kind of plus athlete, maybe slightly more accurate version of Nick Foles. So he can win you a Super Bowl, but the stars have to align for that to happen. And, I mean, very few people run RPO to that extent. And, you know, okay, so we're forcing him to drop back now. And how does that look? I'm not confident in it. I'm, I just, he improved, but he improved from a low base. Like, improving is relative, right? He started from a very bad place and he got better. Okay, can he improve to a really good place? I, I, I have doubts. That's just where I'll leave that. But he's, he's, if, if strong That's didn't have harsh. Then, yeah, it might be, but. That's that's where I sit with him. If Strong didn't have his knee injury, I'd have Corral as my quarterback six. But he, he sits at quarterback five for me. There we go. Right, we'll move on. Uh, sorry. <laughs> well, okay. I'll agree with you if it makes it easier, man. No, no, not at all. <laughs> right, we'll move on to our third to last guy. And I have the pleasure of introducing Kenny Pickett to you all from Pittsburgh. I know that he is the other guy on Bucky Brooks's list of first round potential quarterbacks as mentioned on the POD cast yesterday. Go and check that out. Um, but Kenny Pickett, a quarterback from Pittsburgh playing as the number eight, he is a super senior, 23 years old, but he will be 24 shortly after the draft, so a bit of an older quarterback. He is, and it will surprise a lot of people because he's always kind of portrayed as this super accurate guy who perhaps doesn't do a huge amount outside the pocket in terms of I think if you haven't looked at this particularly much but he's a really athletic guy and it actually comes through really really well on tape 954 on the Raz scale from math bomb there his 10 yard split is 156 that's 9.93 so in terms of short area burst he's really fast he was 473 over 40 but how often does the quarterback actually run that far? Elite explosion grade two, so that's really, really encouraging to see. And that's where I'm going to start on tape. He's a really good runner. Like, the guy's got wheels. And maybe one of the problems is, is that he actually relies on that too much and bails out of going through his progressions to rely on his running ability. But he enjoys it. You can see on the field that he likes bailing out of pockets and running for seven yards because he knows if he runs seven yards for every play, he's going to win games. And unfortunately, I don't think he's quite quick enough for that to translate at the NFL level. He's not a Malik Willis level of athlete. He is, he is better than Sam Howe in terms of athleticism. But it's close. But the guy absolutely loves the physicality of the game. He loves contact. So, you know, this is a really kind of guy that you want to kind of... He, he's going to get people off their seat and cheering for them. And this is a really cool thing to see. He's, a, as I said before, in terms of accuracy, very accurate course fact. When I say accurate, I say... I mean that 
he's getting it to his guy, but he's also getting it there in stride, and he's doing that at all three levels, struggling a little bit more deep, but not a huge amount. Like he's got a really, really good arm and gets it there more often than not. Um his his completion stats are slightly overinflated because he does like the shorter pass sometimes and he's very proficient at doing that. I didn't actually do his stats, so I'll do that quickly. Six for three, two seventeen, fifty-two games, because he's spent so long at the college level. 1,045 completions at a rate of 62%, 12,303 yards, 7.3 yards per attempt, 81 touchdowns, 32 interceptions. In 2021, 13 games, uh, 62, uh, 67% completion rate, so much improved on the rest of his career. He's a bit of a one-season wonder when it comes to his, his final year. was much, much better than his previous years. 4,319 yards, 42 touchdowns to seven interceptions. So over half of his career touchdowns came this season, despite the fact that he's been a starter for four years. Um, when it comes to decision-making, he, even though he does get it to people in the stride, and he is very accurate, he is reluctant to throw wide receivers open. And as I mentioned before, he can bail out of pockets too soon. More often than not, he's reading one guy, and he's getting rid of the ball. But this is despite Pittsburgh perhaps having... Um, I mean, it's not a pro-ready offense, but it's not Ole Miss either. Like, there are some NFL concepts in there, but he's kind of acting like it is almost an RPO-type offense or an air raid-type offense where you're kind of doing one read and getting rid of it. Like, if his first read isn't there, he's tucking it and running to a fault. And then it's 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 glaring because he's he's a really good runner at the college level. So why did he need to do any more? And I worry about him being able to get through his progressions. Pittsburgh are scheming it for him to be able to do that. And it's unclear as to whether that's because he's physically incapable of doing more or Pittsburgh saw that as a best, the best way to win. I mean, in the competitive a a ACC, you want to beat Clemson. And, um, you know, that, that's why that's what they came out to do. So, And, and they managed to do that. Um, there are clear examples though, of him getting through his progressions. It's just inconsistent. In terms of his release... Quick and clean on the short to intermediate routes. One of the things that... I'll come on to my player comp in a minute, but one of the things is that going deep, he really elongates his throwing motion to get it down the field. And that will bring me on to my, my comp in a second. But pocket mobility, he's really adept at kind of making a step. When he does feel pressure but hangs in the pocket, he can make a side step and he'll buy just enough time. He's not afraid to take a hit. And it's like, okay, so why are you bailing in the pocket then? too often because you can do this so please just hang in there a bit more because he, he is able to do it but he's an athlete he's got the explosion he's got the speed he does the read option and desire runs really really well my comp for him is a slightly more athletic jared goff and that worries me a lot his throwing motion is it's so like jared goff that once i thought of it i was like oh i can't unsee this anymore like the way he kind of comes over the ball in that sort of really nice throwing motion, it's it's in rhythm and it's really lovely. J Jared Goff has a lovely throwing motion. If you don't like it, it's I, I I don't know what to say to you, but it's when he's going deep, it's a second slower, maybe or half a second slower than if he's going shorter. That's not translatable because those those routes that take a little while to progress when you're throwing deep you don't end up getting a lot of time because you're giving people a lot of time to get to you. You can't take that extra half second. So I worry that the field shortens for him 
in the NFL. And he's very good at doing those short intermediate throws. But it's one of those things where, because he's been in an offense for such a long time, he's been the starter for such a long time, because he's an old quarterback, how much more is there for him to learn? How much more can he progress from here? He, I don't think, is pro-ready, potentially as much as other people suggested, because how many offenses out there in the NFL really only look at one read most of the time? There's, there's not many of them. So I think that he's someone you need to sit for a year, and that's shortening his career even more. I worry about that, but there's a lot to like about this guy, and there's this leadership there, the way that he does kind of want to run and truck people and be physical. There's, he's a leader. People love him. That's Kenny Pickett, boys. Mm. What have you what have you seen from him? Anyone? I yeah. I let, let, let me, I, I guess I'll, I'll jump in here real quick and I'll say that Kenny Pickett is probably the most pro ready of any of the quarterbacks that are in this class. Um, I I think that he's probably most uh, most likely to get a start um, than any other quarterback that's in this class. Uh, with that being said. I have serious question marks about Kenny Pickett just because why did it take five years? Why did it take five years for us to get to this point where we're having this discussion about Kenny Pickett and there are the concerns, right? There's, there's the idea that, okay, it might be a one-year wonder. Um, I, I do think that the hand size and we've gone, I think this entire time without talking about it, but like, I think it's a legitimate concern. Um, The fact that he has to wear, you know, two gloves, just to accommodate for it because like some people will say it's not an issue. It, it is, it, it 100% is an issue. Um, but, you know, I, I think to your point about him having the mobility and having the athletic chops to do the things that he did in college that he might not get away with in the, in the NFL. I, I just see, when I see Kenny Pickett in the pocket, it looks like, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the uh, 1966 Batman film, but it just reminds me of Batman running through the town with a bomb um, just because he, he, he gets so happy feet in, in the pocket. It, it just seems like, like you said, Matthew, to your point, like, you know, he, he sees his first read. If his first read isn't there, I'm Kenny Pickett. I'm athletic enough to, you know, scramble for a few yards. And, and that's a positive play for my team. I don't know if those plays happen at the next level for Kenny Pickett. So um, he's, he's, he's a little bit further down on my board, um, as far as quarterbacks go. So, yeah. Um, I mean, Dan Olofsky did a really good breakdown of him on Twitter the other day. Um, and he was talking about the pocket mechanics and how, you know, they're really not great at this moment in time. There's a lot of examples of him where, like Ryan says, he gets happy feet. He's bouncing around on his feet, but more than that, he's drifting off the line of scrimmage. So where he's the ball's getting snapped to him when he's dropped back into his read, he's a yard or two either side of where he's been. And it's putting him, it's putting his tackles under pressure because his tackles go in from a situation holding him off. He's having to hold it longer. They're one on one. He's inviting, <laughs> yeah, he's inviting <laughs> the pressure. Yeah. And and this was it. That Dan did a really good job of breaking it down. The pocket mechanics are a real issue. So he goes running when he should be looking through his reads instead. But it's just because of those mechanics in there. He's he's not dropping back straight. He's not dropping back with his feet planted. And again, he's meant to be the most experienced quarterback in this draft who's been in college forever. He should not be having mechanics issues like this, that this deep into his college career. And it is concerning. 
I think I picked up from listening to your college po- podcast and was it like in his first or second year, he had like a terrible O-line and he just got murdered all year. And then he, he just seems like, like skittish and kind of like almost like overreacting every time like he faces pressure. He's, he's just absolutely like, as though he's kind of just scarred from like the experience he's had previously and now he's just got to like either get rid of the ball or just like you know just set out for the for the sideline he just doesn't seem like he's got that calmness that you kind of need in the NFL I'm sorry did you say Jared Goff because that that from the start of the season that's he doesn't, he doesn't wheel out though. Jared Goff. <laughs> he never he never wheels out the pocket though. That's no, that's the one big. No, that is there. true. He doesn't that, that bend the mile to game. the left. Yeah. To, he to, just to he just call straight it, out runs. To to call it wheeling out, Anthony is a uh, that's that's a disservice to wheels, man. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, sorry, any, wheels. Any comment? <laughs> I think you guys have summed it up perfectly. I think when I watched him, I, I was actually surprised going in he's more athletic than I thought he was going to be I think his athleticism is underrated I was actually just looking up some of his numbers there and his numbers are almost identical to Josh Allen who had 20 pounds on him and obviously a very different kind of player but um, I think underrated athleticism but overrated uh, in really the other areas which are the critical ones so there we go all right final two then penultimate guy my QB one Steve, you're taking Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati. Okay, so we've got um, Desmond Ritter um, wears number nine, QB for the Cincinnati Bearcats. Um, you know, this guy is a pocket QB. Um, he's one of the biggest guys in the class, um, six foot four, 215 pounds. He's not like... But, particularly like bulky like he has been called like undersized um in terms of like his frame so i definitely think you know a bit of time in the weight room he's got the ability because he's got that six foot four um frame he'll definitely like fill out um i mean there's been a conversation about who's got the stronger arm him or Pickett. i i think ridder's got stronger arm um, he's got a really good throw. Um, he's got that arm strength to drive the balls, you know, right across the field. He, he can really attack all areas of the defence. Um, there has been some accuracy, accuracy issues, which I will come on to. Um, he's, he's a guy who's definitely, I think, is, is playing for one of the most mature college offences that is probably the most like an NFL offense. Obviously, it's still a way off. But, you know, this is a guy who's used to like a, a kind of like run for spread system. Um, but, you know, he's making a lot of dropbacks. Um, it is more similar to, to the, the NFL. You know, when you think about the kind of stuff that Matt Carroll's playing at um, Ole Miss, um, he's quick on his toes. He can throw inside. Um you know, he, he's got good speed. I think he ran 4.49.40, 9. 9.8 RAS score. So, you know, this is an athletic guy. Um, he's too has got a slightly elongated throwing motion, and that has led to some accuracy issues. He, he's In terms of his accuracy, he doesn't miss by much. Like, he's, 
you know when you see like Josh Allen or Justin Herbert miss, they tend to like miss by like way off. Um, but he he never is really bad with a throw. Um, and when he is slightly inaccurate, the, the balls are normally catchable. But again, in the NFL, that's going to get punished. He's going to throw some picks if he c- can't sort that out. I think one of the things is for a guy who is athletic and has got really good feet, he does kind of throw quite flat-footed when he drops back. He's quite upright. And again, this is something that maybe get like coached out of him. Um, and he's not great throwing on the run. Um, you know, he's been described as one of the most NFL-ready QBs. I think he's, he's more ready than Pickett. Um, I think he's got that refined um, ability to progress, uh, to make his progressions. Like when you look at this class of QBs, Riddo is a guy where the ball is out there before the wide receivers like out of his break. He's already making those anticipated throws, and you don't see that a lot with some of the rest of this class. You know, they're waiting till a guy is screaming open before they're letting go of the ball. Ridder's not like that. The ball is out there nice and early. Um, he's got that post-snap pr- processing. Um, you can see him going through his reads. Um, you see it on some of his best games, like when they played Indiana. Really, really, um, you know, sort of strong in, in that part of his game. And he's also someone who's improved every year. He's a four-year starter. He, he's absolutely made those progressions. Um, comparisons... Um, I think people have, you know, a lot of people have said Ryan Tannehill, um, you know, Dak at a push, or maybe like, you know, at, at worst, an Alex Smith. Um, in terms of, you know, in, in terms of the downside, I think there's, there's definitely still some coaching to be done. Um, and then, you know, for me, um, on Good Morning Football, he was asked, um, you know, what's like his favorite like piece of music. Yeah. Um, you know, he could have said anything. He could have said absolutely anything. But he said, um, complicated by Avril Levine because the draft is complicated. And, you know, as, as, as someone who has invested in, in music behind me, I, I found that comment, if, if it had come from a 13-year-old emo girl, I'd have been quite happy. Um, but, you know, going back to what Ryan was saying earlier, I have a feeling that Des Ridder's um, yearbook will be an absolute horror show. Um, I can only speculate of, of what's written in there. We shall see. That's my that's my Des Ritter. Um, well, you know me. I'm, I'm I'm a fan of Des. I'm a fan of Desmond Ritter. Um, I'm going to straight out the bat say he's the best leader when it comes to quarterback in this entire class. He has the best leadership qualities. Him and Luke Fickle have really renovated that Cincinnati Bearcats program. They are a non-Power 5 team, so to anyone who doesn't know college, they don't play in what are considered to be the top five conferences in college football. It's not necessarily the most glamorous, where the best players go. And over his time there as a starter, they have come so far forward as a team. Um, oh, I'm gone, bloody hell. <laughs> I had something go off in my ear. So yeah, um, like I say, They've, he's brought them so far forward to the point they were in the college football playoffs this year. Power five teams very rarely get there, but that is the season they've had. They took down Notre Dame 
He threw for over 300 yards against Kyle Hamilton and co there. Yes, they did only play one other ranked team along the way, but they still had to win these fixtures. And yes, they did get blown out a bit by Alabama when they got there, but Alabama are a bloody good team all the time. So, you know, in terms of leadership, he's helped bring that franchise forward. He's put them on his back and he's really dragged them forward into the new age as far as they go. So I love the leadership qualities about them. Yes, the accuracy is infuriating. You know, he's got the range of passes. It's just sometimes he's just, you just wish you could like kind of just hit him and go, come on, just, just knock the marbles a little straighter. And those passes, as Steve said, they're not far off, just a teeny tiny bit more accuracy. And you'd be definitely talking about him as quarterback one in this draft by a long stretch of the imagination, I reckon. That's just the uh, the big issue he has there. Um, in terms of just stopping him from really being top traits at the minute. But again, I like him. I like the leadership. He's got a great backstory. He's fought through it all. And I think he's really going to take to the next level and prove a lot of people wrong because people see the school and they're like, maybe he's not got it, but trust me, he does. Ryan? Not a lot to add about Desmond Ritter. Um, you know, I, th- I think you guys talked a lot about, you know, the, the throwing motion, um, you know, being a being a, a, a big guy, but being slender, um, you know, beat up on really bad competition um, playing for Cincinnati, I, I think is something. But uh, I, I think that there is really something to say about him as a leader. And um, I, I think that his, his work ethic and his leadership probably, um, you know, goes to goes to talk about who he is as a person. And, and that stuff does matter um, in the NFL for sure. Uh, especially if you're going to be a leader of a football team. So um, um, I'm not, I'm not on board with Ritter being the guy at 32, but I'm just kind of not on board with any quarterback being the guy at 32. Tom. Yeah. We're not too much for me. I see a little bit of Jalen hurts Um, proven winner leader, great athlete. Uh, When he's on, he looks really good. Um, I think you mentioned that Notre Dame game. I was scouting Hamilton and he just looked so in control of everything, to be honest. I was really impressed. And he does have that poise, but there's the same kind of question marks, which you've all, you've all touched on. So um, I, was, I was really hoping he came out last year when I hadn't seen as much of him. Um, I really liked him as that kind of second round option maybe for the Lions, but uh, I probably soured on him a little bit. I think the thing for me is... I, I, the, if he's got the ceiling, then I really love him, and I'm struggling to determine where his ceiling is because, in terms of physical traits, he's got the live wire arm. He's got one of the better arms in this class. He's definitely got the athleticism. So, if you talk about a toolsy guy, and we're going to talk about a toolsy guy in just a second, I think that. I think that Ritter needs to be mentioned in the same breath as Willis when it comes to this sort of thing. Willis is faster, but I think it's margin. You know, so Ritter runs a four four nine. I think I think the Willis would have run in the low four fours, maybe touch a high four three. You know, th- th- that is something, but it's not nothing. And I think that I think that Ritter needs to be part of a. a NFL coaching staff and to be in that for a year. I know that people say he's pro ready and he's the most pro ready. But when it comes to fixing up his accuracy and his mechanics, I think he needs to sit a year, much like a lot of these guys do. If he sorts that out, I think the sky's the limit for this guy because 
you know, you talk about Strong and he is a statue, you talk about Corral and he is an RPO guy and does that translate and this and that and whatever. But Ritter, pro concepts, got the arm, got the legs. What more do you want from someone in the leadership? Like, I, 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 the guy has done more pro-ready stuff than Malik Willis and is just a little bit less athletic. So why are we not mentioning them together? And is about four inches taller. And that does make a difference. But let's let's start beating around the bush and talk about the guy that everyone talks about at the top of this draft. It's Malik Willis. And Malik was being watched by Tom from Liberty. What did he see from many guys QB1 this year? Right, so another six foot one quarterback, which is the theme this year, 219 pounds. His build is very, very different to a lot of the guys we talked about. He's built like a running back, um, incredibly thick. Committed to Auburn originally, um, couldn't beat out Bo Nix in 2019, so he transferred uh, to Liberty ahead of the 2020 season. Uh, last year, through for 2,859 yards, completion percentage of 61.4%. 27 touchdowns to 12 interceptions for a pass rating of 100.2. Uh, finished the year with a PFF grade of 91.7. Uh, doesn't have any athletic testing. He didn't uh, opt into any of that. Uh, but as, as you touched on, the guy can move. Um, so regardless of what he would have run, he's an incredible athlete. And I think as we move on to strengths, he really has, I, I mentioned traits earlier when we were talking about Bailey Zappi and a lack of them at the NFL level. Um, Willis really has, other than size, pretty much every trait you could look for in an NFL quarterback. So elite athlete has real dual threat potential. And when we we talked about Ritter just then, and I mentioned he was a little bit like Jalen Hurts, but kind of Willis is on the Hurts to Lamar Jackson scale. And he might be closer to Lamar Jackson than he is Jalen Hurts. He's that kind of incredible athlete with the ball in his hands. And he shows fantastic bursts as a runner as well. Um, that combined with his thick build, he's got the highest broken tackle rate of any uh, player in college football. Running backs, whatever. He had the highest broken tackle rate of any of them last year. So as a runner, he's incredibly dangerous. He also has top-end NFL arm strength. So um, for me, the strongest arm in this class. I think that really shone through in Mobile when we had that. I think it was day two, and it was horrible wet conditions. He was the only guy who could really push the ball. Um, everyone else was struggling with it, obviously, Kenny and his tiny hands. Uh, but really, everyone was struggling to move the ball that day. It just wasn't a thing really for Malik Willis. I think that was highly impressive, especially when we're talking about the NFC North. Um, throws a beautiful deep ball. Obviously the pro day throw uh, kind of elicited all the reactions of people losing their mind over it and then people losing their mind over people losing their mind over it. But in general, his deep ball is gorgeous to watch. He throws a really nice spiral. Um, it's one of the few passes which he actually does throw with touch. He can, because of his arm strength, he can drop it in a bucket. And um, he does sometimes throw it a little flat, but when he does put it up there, it's, it's really nice uh, for those receivers to go out and get. Quick and tight release, uh, it will make him, it should make him perfect for kind of quick timing concepts and things like that. Um, there are questions about accuracy we'll get to, but his release pattern really is favorable to that kind of offense. Um, throws at all arm angles, like a few of the guys we talked about today. Um, some of the throws you see are just out of this world. 
Um, I, we actually mentioned Russell Wilson earlier, who I can't remember, and I don't think he is Russell Wilson, but some of the ways that he keeps plays alive, rolls out, and then throws a deep ball accurately really reminded me of some of those things where, where Wilson does. Um, Wilson very much more someone who will run to throw, um, which is not Willis's game, but you, you get that kind of explosive um, explosive plays where he can keep it alive. He's just so exciting to watch. It's really the um, is the piece here, and we'll get on some of the weaknesses. But you 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 watch things. Well, I find I watch things, and then suddenly I'm like, man, I would love to see this guy in Honolulu Blue. You, it's so easy to get wrapped up in in the good. There, there's so much of it, and then everything you hear off field is the guy's a start as a leader too. He's um, kind of teammates love him, coaches love him. You see the things at the at the combine of him uh, handing out merch and things as well, but it's not just that. If you're cynical about one of those kind of viral videos, everything you hear about him is is a great person, a great leader. Weaknesses wise, um, velocity. I, I read in my note first. I was like, velocity is an issue, and I was thinking, no, it's not. He's got a cannon. What I mean is his ability to throw touch passes. So every pass or the majority of passes come out at 100 miles an hour. Um, he needs to learn to take pace off the ball, throw the touch passes, keep the accuracy on that. And that's especially on short throws. That's going to make him much more dangerous on those quick passing concepts. Um, intermediate throws, it can get quite frustrating. He can sail guys um, and, and not by a little bit as well. We're talking it going way, way over his head. Ball placement is sporadic at times. Um, I don't see the anticipation that maybe we would like to see. Um, and we've seen in some of the other guys we've talked about today. There's been lots of talk about Kenny Pickett's hands. Uh, Malik Willis's hands are fine, but fumbles have been an issue as a ball carrier um, and in the pocket. So uh, there's been a number of issues where not all those fumbles have been lost, but his fumble numbers are high. And so it's something which you need to keep in mind. He does miss some easy throws because of those slightly inconsistent mechanics we touched on. Um, he does move well off platform and obviously he still throws it with zip, but accuracy is a little bit more all over the place there. Maybe a little bit less desirable than you want. Um, the offensive line he had is just appalling and that's created a number of bad habits in terms of trying to, um, escape from that. That's going to take a bit of time to get away from. Obviously, if he came to something like Detroit, that's something we, we see as a strength. So um, I feel like we can get him out of those habits. Finally, just in terms of coming from a relatively simple college offense, which does play to his strengths, but he's going to take time to acclimatize to the NFL playbook and reads. Now, that being said, I thought it was almost a bit lazy when people would say that his progressions were really bad. Um, I didn't see it to quite the same extent. He's not experienced in that sense, but I think you see times where he does move through his reads. And at the senior bowl, when they're focused on it a bit more, there was improvement there. So um, I guess we can start in terms of final thoughts with the number two pick. Actually, no, let's leave the number two pick. I'll save that for when we when we throw it out uh, to the rest of you. Um, I mentioned Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts. I think the exciting thing about Willis is for all those guys' talents, they are not necessarily the people with arm talent that I think are going to take your team to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying Lamar Jackson will never get there, for example. I'm not saying Jalen Hurts will never get there. But when they fall behind, are they the guys who you, you're going to be comfortable that their arm is going to take um, bring the game back? I don't think so. Malik Willis is completely different in that regard. He's still got that dual threat ability, 
but there is that upside with the arm that I feel like you are going to be in games. I'm not saying he's a Pat Mahomes. I'm not saying he's a Josh Allen or someone like that. But with those guys on the field, do you think you can always come back from something? And I think if Willis pans out, you have the opportunity to get someone like that where you're always going to feel like you're in a game. I think he will have four interception games at times and things like that. And that's kind of, you're going to live and die by that at times. But I think the upside is there where he can be really, really exciting. And I think some of the concerns are slightly more overblown. Ryan, you are a Malik Stan. Uh, what <laughs> what do you think of, of what Tom said and what's your take on, on Malik? Yeah, I, I think Tom was extremely fair. Um, I think that a lot of what a lot of what he said rings true to, to the Malik Willis that I know and that I watched at Liberty. Um, you know, I, I started watching Liberty games in 2020 because I'm a gambling degenerate and um, you know, uh, I had to bet on college football that was going on throughout the week and there was a Liberty game on and just turned it on and he just jumped off the screen. And, you know, I, I, I've, I've put together five reasons why, the Detroit Lions should draft Malik Willis. And if, if you guys would entertain me, I, w- I would love to share those with you. Um, number five, it makes the most sense with where the Lions are in their timeline. Does it not? I mean, they have a perfect bridge quarterback in Jared Goff. Uh, they have the opportunity to let Malik Willis sit and maturate and uh, grow with Mark Brunel. And I think that the situation is perfect. Number four, uh, he's the most, and, and Tom touched on this. I, I, I think he's the most entertaining player in the draft. Like he's the most electric, he's the most exciting, and the Lions haven't had a player like that in since Calvin Johnson retired. And you know, think about the way that Malik Willis will have, you know, he will have a hand in every single play. Um, it, it, it's a lot like, I mean, if you want to take it back even further, it, it, it's like Barry Sanders. You know, at least Barry Sanders would touch the ball twenty plus times a game. You know, Calvin Johnson might only get six, seven catches. Um, but, you know, Malik Willis would have a hand in, in, in every play. And, and like Tom said, there, there might be some games where he throws three interceptions or four interceptions. And, yeah, that's, that's how the game of football goes sometimes. But, um, man, he'll look fun doing it. Um, number three, he's not Kenny Pickett. Uh, number two, um, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm willing to bet on athleticism and I'm willing to bet on traits. Um, and, and those are the two things that Malik Willis is just – oozing with right um and then lastly it it goes hand in hand with two it's just the the absolute sky high ceiling and you know at at some point you know a team has to bet on a quarterback and 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 if you want to say the lions aren't ready to bet on a quarterback that's fine you know they, they can continue to team build and they can get the quarterback later there's been plenty of teams who have gone gone that route um some to success and and some to not but i just think that you know, with a guy, you know, there's going to be a time where you're going to have to take a risk. You know, the, the chiefs traded up for Patrick Mahomes, you know, the, the bills took a risk on Josh Allen. Uh, The Baltimore Ravens traded up into the first round at 32 to take Lamar Jackson after nobody wanted him. And, you know, the Ravens drafted Hayden Hurst instead, Um, (laughs) you know, but I, I think at some point you have to bet, if you're not willing to push your chips in on the table on Malik Willis, that's fine. He's just going to go somewhere else and you're going to regret it. I, I love the kind of theory of, in terms of, the, you, uh, in terms of his heist. Sorry, oh, just oh, quickly. Oh, no, no, you go, you go, you go. 
I was just going to say, in terms of his high ceiling, I mean, like, is this guy the second coming of Mike Vick? Is is that the ceiling? Oh, man. You know, Michael Vick is the reason why I love football. You know, I, I think that even growing up, you know, I, I missed out on the Barry Sanders era just, just a bit. Um, but Michael Vick was what captured my attention with football. And that's rare air that you're putting him into. Um, but yeah, I mean, the ceiling is, the ceiling is high because of the arm talent too. Right. I, I mean, Vic had the arm talent as well. Um, Vic also had uh, tiny little hands, but he was able to overcome it because he was such a dynamic athlete. I'm not sure if Malik is quite the dynamic athlete that Vic is, but he's pretty close. He's pretty close. I think he, the, the ceiling for his arm is high. I know that Vic had the arm talent, but he wasn't an elite passer. He was a very good passer, and mm-hmm. he was an elite rushing threat. And I think it's just inverted with them two. So, yeah, I could sure. see, I could see what it's doing. It's one of those philosophical things, isn't it? Are Detroit content to say to Goff, "We don't believe in you"? Because I think that's what it does come down to is we are drafting a replacement, you're here for one year, and then thank you and goodbye. And I don't think they're willing to do that, but is it the right decision? I I don't believe in Jared Goff. I don't. And I don't think anything he's going to show me is going to change that. He had, like, four really good games at the end of the year because he had confidence and he had a reasonable team around him playing to his strengths, but... You have a look at the elite quarterbacks of this league. You have a look at Mahomes and Allen and whatever. They're going to succeed with bad teams. I just think they will. You have a look at Deshaun Watson. And, you know, in a 4-12 Houston team, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He looked really good on that team. Like, that Houston team was kind of like Detroit's team this year in terms of it was bad, but they were in every game. And, And Watson looked really good doing it. And I think that Malik his ceiling is right up there. But if you kind of split a projection up into, well, his ceiling is really good, but if you break it down a bit further and say, what's the chance that they could be top three quarterback, uh, high-level starter, mid-level starter, low-level starter, bust? I think that Willis has potentially the highest bust rate of all of the guys we've talked about. I think that his bust rate is higher than 50%. I think that he has the highest rate of top three quarterback. So I think that that might be in the 5 to 10% range. And I think everyone else is lower than that. I don't see a huge amount in between. Like, you are really, really taking a punt on him. But it's still the best choice if you are someone who wants to swing for the fences. And my problem with doing it at two is that I really... I don't know how Ryan feels about this in terms of what happened last season. I really feel like we're onto a good thing with the head coach and the and the front office. And I'm fearful of attaching their futures to Willis when I think the bust rate is so high. I'm not sure that it's a wise move, even if they don't believe in golf. So I would almost like them to do it, but I, I don't think they will. Um, I'll let someone else speak now. Tom? <laughs> and it, it's really tough, this is, because you know me, you know my quarterbacks. I love dual threat quarterbacks. I love Justin Field. I love Kyler Murray. I like Kyler Murray a hell of a lot. I like these guys who bring the dual threat ability to an offense because, you know, your offense becomes so much more dynamic when you've got a guy in there. But, I mean, with Willis, 
I loved him at the beginning of the season. I was on the train to draft him when we started this season. But just as, as I've watched the college season and I've progressively gone along, I'm just I'm not sure that spending the number two pick on him is the wisest thing. The ball security is a huge issue. I mean, last year it was 17 fumbles. Now, he worked out this year a lot better. It went down to about four, I think it was. But his interception count doubled. You know, this guy threw two picks against the Raging Cajuns, three against Old Miss, three against Middle Tennessee, three against Louisiana Monroe. These are many multiple pick games he's played where he's put the ball in danger. And for all the fancy stuff he does with the ball, you know, he gives it away a lot as well. And I'm just, I'm just not sure that I'm, I'm not comfortable with it. His movement in the pocket, you know, he got, I think he got sacked the second most times out of all quarterbacks in the FBS. Actually. I think it was 51. And yes, he's not got the best O-line in the world, but also a lot of those sacks were invited on him, you know, holding onto the ball too long, the erratic movement around the pocket, you know, we've got a solid O-line here, but if you've got a quarterback who starts wondering, starts abandoning his pocket too early and that, then it affects the way that your O-line play as well. They've got to hold on longer. They've got to, you know, there's just these little things like that that I'm are just holding me back from doing it. And I see people say, well, he's got no talent there at Liberty with him. No one's going to be drafted. Well, I've made the comparison to Grayson McCall at Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina have the same issue. They don't have much draftable talent there. Yes, they've got Isaiah Lightly this year, who has been a hell of a receiver for him. But on the whole, there's not a lot of talent there yet. They've had a hugely successful season. He's thrown just three picks there, and he's doing it without much of a team around him. And he's built a, he's built a very solid outfit there. And I don't buy the lack of talent around him. They've won 17 games in two years. There's, there's got to be some talent there, even if it's not draftable. And I just, with so much uncertainty around the pick, I'm not willing to, to reach for him. I think, you know, the big indicator for me is that the Giants are right behind us. And I hear all this stuff about Willis's arm, been like Josh Allen and stuff like that. But the Giants are right behind us with two picks and their head coach has just worked with a guy like Josh Allen for several years. He knows the importance of having a quarterback in his system like him. And he's not got that at New York. He's got the last year of Daniel Jones, who they've not picked the fifth-year option on. They're not confident on. They need a quarterback. There is not one whisper around the league of him being interested in Willis. And he knows the importance of a quarterback more than anybody. And why? Because I believe it's a reach, and he thinks it's a reach as well. And I'm just I'm not willing to put the rebuild on someone who I believe I'm reaching for. And that's just, I'm not saying I don't, I love him. I'd love for him to go back one more year. I'd love for him to transfer, go to a higher level school, get more protection and really just get some of these problems out of his system. Like Matt Corral did. He had the interception problem last year. He cleared that out of his system. He cleared the doubts about him. And now he's going to do well in the draft this year. It's just the injury that's held him back. So I'm really conflicted, but I just think it's a reach and I'm not willing to put my hat on it. I'm willing to wait. I look at the quarterback class next year. It's not just CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. There's a lot of talent to be had that we can get at. And I just think a better opportunity will come along. But again, I'm really conflicted because he could be good. And he's like, that quarterback I want. But even if I'm still a bit iffy on it when he's the perfect quarterback for me in terms of how he plays, mm. you see what I mean? It, you've done it now, though. I think the, um... the, the talks around the Giants taking a five are going to start right here. Sorry, Steve. Carry on. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I mean, I, 
I grew up watching like Michael Vick as well, and he's just one of those electrifying players that makes you turn on the TV and watch the NFL. Um, and you know the you know Ryan talking there, you know the romantic in me. I'm you know I can feel myself falling for the guy, you know. But then I just think back to what Ant's saying, and you know in terms of like the ball security and the picks thrown and. I'm just thinking about that evening when we're playing the Packers and we're, you know, he's not he's not playing against Ole Miss. He's playing against Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos and J.O. Alexander and Russell Douglas. And I can kind of almost see the nightmare unfolding, you know, and, and that's my worry. Can you also not see him running for an 80-yard touchdown to win a game late? Like, I could see that too. You can yeah, see both. You I can want see to both. see that. I want, <laughs> I want to. to see that. I, I do. I, I want to take that, but I have to keep my level-headed hat on it. I have to look mm. at all prospects through an even lens, and I don't know. I, I get where Ryan's coming from. I really do, and I really like the appeal of him there, but when there's something holding me back about the decision and I'm not, too, and I'm not sold on it, even though he's the perfect guy, I just have to figure something's wrong from my own personal point of view. Ryan, do you want the final word on Malik and then we'll wrap up? No? Lions, fan, <laughs> Lions, fan, Lions fans, you know, I said this yesterday on the podcast, but I, I just don't think Lions fans deserve Malik Willis. That's my pivot that I'm making right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there because we've been going a long time. If you are still with us, thank you so much for doing that. Really appreciate you taking the time to go through the journey with us from round seven and the UDFAs all the way to potentially round one, if there is a round one quarterback, and that is potentially still in question. Next week, the podcast is going to be focusing on our first full uh, round mock, first, I can say this, I can, first full round mock, ah, full first round mock draft. There we go. Developmental. Yes, I know. Sorry to say what? (laughs) So we're all doing a, a first round mock draft. They're going to be revealed pick by pick in a snake order as if we were kind of doing some sort of, um, uh, fantasy football type things so you're going to see how we see it going in terms of either you know what we would do if that's how we like to pick it or what we think the league are going to do but you can have all that fun with us monday april 11th got the college football podcast wrapping up the end of the pro days as ant and ryan was saying at the top of the pod so that's tomorrow do catch up with that if you can that starts at half past seven and uh half past yeah. two eastern time in the states uh, yeah. Ryan, I know that you guys have uh, an interview coming up that's going to be potentially pretty interesting. We actually have two. Um, we have, I'm not going to say the names, but uh, we have somebody from The Athletic joining us uh, to talk about the draft uh, this week coming up on Thursday. And then we have somebody from The Ringer who is going to be joining us uh, the following Thursday. So. Pick, pick a name stuff. from the ringer that you guys absolutely love, and I'm sure that must be the guy. I'm not I'm not 100%, but it's, it's got to be. It's got to be. Um, right. Don't forget to check that out and follow Ryan at Ryan underscore POD. And I hear Chris's voice in my head when I say that, but there's no Limp Biscuit backing me up. Um, you can find <laughs> us You can find us on our socials at Royal The Lions UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Facebook group for worldwide fans, Detroit Lions fans, UK, One Pride Worldwide. The website, royalthelinesuk.com. Please don't forget to subscribe. Rate us five stars. Please like the video and, and whatever you can do really helps us out. Just want to thank Ryan for coming on and sticking with us all this time. Really appreciate that. To all my co-hosts, to Ant, 
Ryan now gone, Steve, Tom, and to all of you guys for listening, thank you very much. We'll see you next time on the Rural ICK podcast. Let's go Lions, one pride. One pride. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.